0: Postcards from a Dying World, the podcast. For more than a decade, I've reviewed over 1,000 books that are mostly science fiction, horror, and bizarro. This feed will feature bonus audio I have produced over the years, as well as a monthly digest of reviews based on what I've read each month, plus the occasional bonus material about my own fiction. Thanks for listening.
1: Welcome
0: to the final part of the Postcards from a Dying World Chinese Cinema Trilogy. Uh, This is going to be a banger, uh, because I have serious Hong Kong movie credibility. Now, there is a whole century and plus of great Hong Kong cinema, but I'm focusing on two decades here. I wanted to focus on two decades because there was an explosion of Hong Kong cinema in the late 20th century. So we're just focusing on the 80s and the 90s, which um, I know is probably painful for our experts because there is a lot of great stuff from the other uh, decades, which Dan Halstead and I talked about in our episode. We talked a lot about the 60s and 70s uh, on the Shaw Brothers episode. So if you haven't listened to that episode, go back and listen to that. But Starting with Lisa Morton, tell us who you are, what you do, and how you came to love Hong Kong cinema.
1: Hey, um, thanks for having me on today, David. And I, I love this this panel because I know everybody here and you guys are all awesome. Um, I got into Hong Kong cinema, I think, in the early 90s when... There were some movies that were screening around L.A. I saw one in particular that I became obsessed with called Green Snake. Um, that turned me on to a director named Choi Hawk, who is also a producer, kind of the godfather of Hong Kong cinema. Um, in the early 2000s, I ended up flying to Hong Kong to spend a week with Choi Hawk. Um, and out of that came a book called The Cinema of Choi Hawk, which was my first book. Um <laughs> thank you joey for holding up a copy um and uh i have continued to follow hong kong cinema ever since i love everything from the 80s and 90s not just the work of Choi hawk and um beyond hong kong cinema i'm also i've worked as a screenwriter although these days i am mainly a uh, writer of uh horror themed um short stories and nonfiction books
0: right and uh I highly recommend Lisa's work. Uh, I am a huge fan of her novel, The Castle of Los Angeles, which uh, is a great um, haunted house story with a unique setting. So I just wanted to put that out there. And listeners of this podcast will remember that from our top horror novels panel when James Chambers picked that as one of his
2: top 10 horror novels.
0: So, But thank you for joining us, Lisa. Joey O'Brien, tell tell the uh, folks at home
2: who you are. I uh, write genre movies. (laughs) These days I'm a screenwriter and uh, I write genre movies and in the past I was a film critic and uh, reviewed a lot of Hong Kong movies. That's how I wound up with the papers that I wrote for. Uh, They wanted somebody to review the Hong Kong movies that were showing locally and I got into Hong Kong movies from a very early age because they would show these movies, uh, the Shaw Brothers movies, dubbed on, uh, on television. So, you know, it was really uh, Five Element Ninjas, which I saw as Super Ninjas, uh, cut and dubbed, that uh, kind of sucked me into that, and I was a fan ever since. That movie is exactly the one that sucked me in, in Indiana, on Black
0: Belt Theater, which was every Friday night at 1.30 in the morning.
2: <laughs> that's, <laughs> e- that's exactly right. Um, I fell out of it for, for a little while there, but... Uh, I found a VHS of it later. I went hunting for a VHS and then I kind of went down the rabbit hole again and uh, never came out. Well, that movie is on our list many times.
0: So we will be talking about the five element ninjas, AKA Chinese super ninjas as time goes on. And Jeff, tell the folks who you are, what you do and, and why I was encouraged that I couldn't do this without you.
3: Thank you. Uh, first of all, for having me on, I really appreciate it. i Love talking about this subject. So as you'll uh, going to see shortly, um, I am, uh, I'm actually kind of a late comer to relatively to Hong Kong movies. Um, uh, I'm First of all, I'm from the Southern California area. I grew up here, my parents did as well. My mom was a movie nut. And so I ca- uh, caught that from her, I believe. She actually was at the premiere of Giant, like the man's Chinese, or Grom's Chinese, believe it or not, back in the fifties. So I got that bug from her, grew up loving movies, but never, unlike what uh, Joey just mentioned and you mentioned, I never really watched them on television uh, back in the seventies into the eighties. It wasn't until you know I was in college uh, at UCLA and I started reading all these reviews in the LA Weekly and in the LA Times, talking about this incredible you know batch of you know this new wave from Hong Kong and the really exciting uh, cinema coming out of there, and so. I decided to take the plunge and I won't mention the movie because we'll mention it later on, but it was March 6th, 1991. I'll never forget. I went to saw saw a movie at the New Art that changed my life. Two weeks later, I went back to see a double feature of swordsman and Chinese ghost story Two. And at that point I thought, okay, I figured something out later in 91. I discovered the theaters uh, out in the San Gabriel Valley, the, the Chinatown theaters and started going regularly there, you know, saw several hundred movies and, got to see that whole, unfortunately later in the decades, got to see that whole uh, you know, theater circuit die out in about 98, 99, which is unfortunate. Cultivated a lot of these movies and thankfully I got to uh, through a friend of mine, my college roommate was one of the founders of a uh, giant robot magazine. And because of that, I became a contributor to that in the nineties and actually got to go to Hong Kong three times in the 97, 98, and 99, go to the Hong Kong Film Awards and do a ton of interviews and buy a lot of stuff for myself as well um since then um uh you know once the theaters closed down it was a little bit harder to follow up with all the movies but i've still done my best you know even in the 21st century to follow up with hong kong movies and also chinese uh, movies as well
0: so in my origin story uh, i told this on the dan halstead episode in greater depth so if people want to go back and listen to that they can. I highly recommend that show, not because of me, but because of him. I got into, uh, like a lot of kids in the 80s, discovered martial arts movies through Revenge of the Ninja being, uh, the Shokasugi movie being on HBO. I was then looking for more ninja movies and eventually saw Chinese Super Ninjas listed um, in the TV Guide at 1.30 in the morning on Black Belt Theater. But one thing... In Indiana, we had a horror host named Sammy Terry who talked to a spider on a string and announced horror movies every every Friday night at eleven thirty. And then when Sammy Terry was over, Black Belt Theater came on and they had a bunch of kicking sound effects and hi-yahs and stuff, and it'd say Black Belt Theater, and then they would show old Golden Harvest and Shaw Brothers movies. Growing up, I had a ton of Betamax double features that were Hammer movies and Shaw Brothers movies back to back. So I had uh, Dracula's Risen from the Grave and Chinese Super Ninjas. I had Twins of Evil and um, the Heroic Ones, um, which explains why my first novel, Hunting the Moon Tribe, was a Wuxia vampire novel that combined um, uh, all of these loves. Because uh, growing up, I just I had a like a classic horror and kung fu movie double feature collection that was curated by Channel 4 in Indianapolis um, in some weird way. But yeah, so that's my origin story for that. I grew up into that. And then what got me into Hong Kong cinema cinema overall was seeing the killer on VHS in the early 90s. And we'll talk more about that movie a lot later. So, Lisa, let's start off with your honorable mentions, then my honorable mentions, then Joey, then Jeff. So, Lisa, your honorable mentions.
1: Um, Well, I almost feel like they're just – I chose 12 movies, and they just randomly, you know, combined. This could have been any two of the other movies because I love these all equally, I think. But I ended up going with A Chinese Ghost Story and Beast Cops. Um, and A Chinese Ghost Story, of course, is the, um, Ching Su Tung directed, Choi Hawk produced, Choi probably directed some of the movie as well, starring, um, Leslie Chung as the young tax collector who gets involved with the gorgeous ghost played by Joey Wang. It's, it's a classic Hong Kong fantasy. And we will talk about it at depth later
0: on because it is on many people's list.
1: All right, I won't go into it too much more. I'll just say that I love um, the, I love everything about it. I love the look of it. I love the cast. I love the the speed. It has a great, it has that classic sort of manic rhythm about it, and it plays really well in that. Um, and then Beast Cops was uh, perhaps perhaps an odder choice for me, but I love that movie because Anthony Wong is one of my favorite actors, and I think that's his best performance. Um, I love the sort of urban grittiness of that movie I love Sam Lee as his partner they're both these bad cops who are actually the anti-heroes and it has the most astonishing final 20 minutes I think of any thriller or suspense or cop movie that I have ever seen Um, it's an absolutely incredible finale to that movie so that's why it's on the list really for me and then uh I think you had the mission too on your honorable mention. That was that was originally gonna be like number 13 since we lopped it off at twelve. But yeah, yeah. the oh, mission we
0: actually edited so you can do fifteen. So you can do a few more if you
1: want. Oh, okay. Um yeah, the mission certainly should be in there. That was I think the first Johnny Toe movie I ever saw. And again, it has that great, incredibly testosterone fueled cast. Um it's uh it's just a really great thriller again anthony wong is great in that one um so yeah and you know if if i was going to mention one or two others i i did feel really bad about the fact that there is no michelle yo movie on my list um i would probably go with i know heroic trio is tempting but i'd probably go with wing chun um because she is so amazing in that and uh, the whole tofu fighting scene in that is incredible um so i'll i'll do my there's my 14 so okay uh
0: so my honorable mentions uh and by the way we did talk about Chung ac- accidentally on the jet Li episode and uh, the tofu scene uh, because it's impossible kind of not to but uh so my first one is a jet Li movie and that's the new legend of shaolin um I'm, I'm i'm not sure if somebody has that on there but um New Legend of Shaolin, uh, is like a insane kind of weird fever dream. It's one of the weirdest Jet Li movies. Um, and it's a Wuxia uh, period, um, action movie with a tank in it, which is just insane. And also the, the little kid that starred in two movies with Jet Li who was, um, you know, and when he's like swinging them around on a rope, I think actually that was my father as a hero that he did that, but either way that it's incredible. Um, I also have um, Sammo Hung's uh, Moon Warriors as one of my honorable mentions. Uh, It has a talking killer whale, uh, which is just totally insane. And um, it was the movie that George Lucas made all the fight coordinators watch the sword fights of before Phantom Menace because the sword fights, Ching Su Tung sword fights. Uh, Even though Sammo Hung does uh, his own action, he brought Ching Su Tung in to just do the sword fights and it shows in Moon Warriors. So I had that, uh, Happy Together, um, which uh, Wong Kar Wai, um, gay romance film, uh, uh, just definitely a boundary-breaking movie. I was lucky enough to get to see it in the theater um, in Indiana, which is crazy, uh, but it played at the Ryder Film Series, which was the campus um, art house film series there, and uh, it's an incredible movie. Staying in the art house, uh, Zhang Yuman's... Um, Raise the Red Lantern. I could do a, a million Zhang Yimou movies. They're all great, and uh, just that—that's one that I that stuck with me. I'm probably going to be alone on this because I've been told many people do not like A Man Called Hero, but the Andrew Lau movie. But I think Man uh, uh, a Man Called Hero is is great comic book-y type action movie, and it's one that I rewatched many times, and I randomly was given a poster of Man Called Hero. So for years I had it was just random that I had a Man Called Hero poster because Asian uh video store next to the weird hole in the wall market in San Diego, just the guy just was like randomly gave me a poster for it at one point. So I have a fondness for that movie in my heart because I was given that poster. So those are my honorable mentions. Um Joey, your honorable mentions.
2: I'll kick it off. Uh, First of all, I should say that like this list, honorable mentions, top ten, it's all very arbitrary. (laughs) Uh, It could have—I think your lists probably could have been my lists, and maybe vice versa. Um, It's really, really difficult. I think it could have done a top 100 and still have lots of uh, movies left over. But um, but for the purposes of back for that next year. (laughs) <laughs> okay okay uh so to kick it off though we'll go with uh eight diagram pole fighter which is uh directed by lao Kar long one of my favorites uh, i think he's one of the best uh, directors of martial arts movies of all time um of course the cast uh lao carl is one of the best stars of all time and i just love the movie i think it's one of their best movies uh beautiful theatrical sets it's darker than uh typical for uh for lao Kar long but uh I wouldn't let that stop you uh, amazing fights and an absolutely unbelievable climax on a stacks of coffins that kind of anticipates the ladder fights and altar fights and once upon a time in China movies to come. But I, I think that's a wonderful one. I kind of came to it a little later uh, in life. Unlike the other lock on movies that I saw when I was younger, uh, I didn't, I think I hunted down a, a UK VHS of that one, but uh love it. Uh, must see. Um,
0: there's a lot of Eight Diagram pole fighter talk in the Dan Halsted episode because that is um, one of the most popular uh, movies he screens at his Kung Fu Theater series in Portland. And I got to see it there. And that final reel just kills every time. And um, that was the first movie that he um, saved. Like um, there, when he first found all the movies in Vancouver... There were, he, he only had room for five movies in his, um, in his trunk, and so you'll have to listen to the episode to see which five movies he saved, but one of them was a diagram pole fighter.
2: Yeah, that's what, he's doing God's work. Um, yeah, that's <laughs> amazing. I, I finally have seen it in the theater now, and you're right, that ending is just, uh, the crowd goes absolutely crazy um on the run as a my my next uh, honorable mention which i think is really kind of slept on noir uh starring nbo in a non fighting role uh which is uh, may sound disappointing but it's it's really not uh he's great in the movie and uh when the fights come they're not the traditional martial arts fight It's very brutal um but the whole movie is basically walks uh pat ha basically walks away with the entire movie uh she's amazing her role is amazing and uh, With all due respect to The Sound of Music, I think the best Do Re Mi (laughs) scene in cinema history, uh, I'm going to say. But uh, yeah, I highly recommend it. uh, Hunt It Down. Uh, It's great. I was lucky enough to catch it at a revival screening in Hong Kong, uh, uncut version. It's great. Um, Next one up is uh, Fong Sayuk, which is really a favorite movie. I struggled with some of these because which Jet Li movie to pick – but I always come to that back to that one because of the characters and the interactions between the characters are really unique for the genre. Um, And I mean, Josephine Sal walks off with the whole movie again. Uh, There's an incredible role. And uh, I think we're all used to these massive tonal shifts in Hong Kong movies, but she uh, watching her navigate those tonal shifts, some of these scenes, it's, it's amazing. Um, So, uh, so that, is on the list pretty much because of her, <laughs> but it's a great movie. It's tons of fun. Uh, really recommend people see that if they haven't seen it. Um, Autumn's Tale, uh, directed by Mabel Chung. I wanted to, you know, have some, uh, drama in here. And, uh, I've always been very fond of that one. I love, uh, is a really romance. <laughs> it's, you know, a star studded romance with uh giant fat and, and cherry Chung at the peak of their star power. Um, really touching really moving uh movie set in new york uh, it's got a, a very unique feel uh and uh just again highly recommended uh very touching warm lovely movie pairs well with umbrellas of cherbourg go for it uh, it's great um then uh this was so difficult for me the only way i could navigate it but i had to make some extra rules for myself <laughs> and it was like okay five movies from the 80s five movies from the 90s and only one movie by each director. But that really got me into trouble with Troy Hark because the whole list could have really been Troy Hark. So one of the missing movies for me that I'm really disappointed is Once Upon a Time in China because I could only pick one, uh, Troy Hark movies due to my self-imposed rule. So- I
0: get to talk about Once Upon a Time in China because it's coming up.
2: Yeah, but um, but so in, in its place, I picked uh, Iron Monkey, which I also love a lot. Uh, absolutely just amazing choreography and fight scenes really fun light on its feet uh donnie Yen and a great part uh you run Gong um and then uh the, and we will we'll talk more about iron monkey as, yeah. as time goes on too yeah yeah so that's it those are the honorable mentions
0: uh jeff your honorable mentions one of which is iron monkey is well. yeah, yes you will me? be i'll start with that yeah I'll just say that's that's a it, it's a great one
3: um, um and i really want to talk but that one i'll just say right now that that that's the movie where Probably I introduce more people. That movie is so entertaining that you can introduce more people to that into Hong Kong cinema with that movie. It's you know 89 minutes, and it just it just gets everything right. We'll come back to that. I you know. Yeah. Uh, so another honorable mention is um, My Young Auntie, another Lao Kar movie from 1981. Um, that it's tough because A Diagram Pole Fighter is great. Legendary Weapons of China is great. If this were the 70s. 36 Chamber Shells would be in the top five probably of the 70s. The way that they balance the, the, the characters and the story in My Young Auntie is amazing. And again, I think the last 15, 20 minutes of that is just staggering. And Lao Karlong is just, you know, he, he was just amazing. And Kara, Kara Hoy is, she won the first best actress, um, Hong Kong film award that year. And she's just wonderful. Everybody's great. You know, it's just, it's just a wonderful movie, just a lot of fun. Um, then my third runner up. This was tough because I wanted to, to include a romantic comedy and it was it was a tough one. I'll just put a shout out to, what I think, our two other great 80s romantic comedies are Let's Make Laugh from Shaw Brothers uh, with Kenny B and um, uh, Cecilia Yip and Fishy Story with Kenny B and Maggie Chung, I think are fantastic classic romantic comedies. But my choice, because it meant a lot to me, I saw it in the theater when it first came out, is He's a Woman, She's a Man with uh, Leslie Chung and Anita Yoon. And um, that was when Anita Yoon was my favorite actress of that period. I was, you know, I saw, she made a lot of movies. I think she made like 10 movies in each of 94 and 95. She was all over the place. I saw everything I could of hers, absolutely adore her. I got to interview her twice, uh, once in LA and once in Hong Kong. Absolutely adore her as, a, her, her, uh, as an actress and uh, her persona and he's a woman she's a man is just a wonderful movie and leslie is is just fantastic he does one of the the funniest portrayals of somebody who's like uh, homophobic not in a mean way but in kind of a you know self-conscious way because he's falling he thinks anita is a is a man but he's falling in love with her and he's freaking out he has some wonderful comic moments in that and um it's just a one uh, just a wonderful entertaining movie um that actually is out on one of the few hong kong romantic comedies that's out on dvd in the united states so it is available and there's a sequel to that film which i like too despite its flaws So my fourth runner-up, also from the same year, 1994, is kind of the equivalent of what a Bollywood movie, you call a masala movie that has everything you could possibly want in it. God of Gamblers Return in 1994, that was Chai and Fat's return to the God of Gamblers role. Sorry about the phone ringing in the background. And it was a highly anticipated movie. I went and saw it at the the midnight show at the Kuowaf Theater in San Gabriel with a packed house and the audience was losing its mind. There were people sitting in the aisles, people standing against the back wall and people were losing, I mean, absolutely going crazy in there. Um, Just pure entertainment, giving the audience what it wants. Give him what it wants, you know, it's ridiculous. Speaking of Joey mentioned tone shifts, it's got some pretty hardcore tone shifts in that. The opening, what happens to his wife is really horrific, and then it switches to broad comedy and then goes to a great climax. Got great support from Tony Lung, Ching Miao. Um, it has uh, Xie Miao, who was the Jet Li's son in uh, those two films um he's got a pretty funny role in it and just as an aside if i don't know if you guys saw i'm sure lisa you saw the taking of tiger mountain Shane Miao was in that movie he's one of the soldiers in that uh-huh. uh, yeah um and then God of Gamblers again God of Gamblers return though just pure fun you know Wong Jing you know he's one of the most important you know love him or hate him he's one of the most important you know figures in hong kong cinema in the 80s and 90s and this i think is one of his best of his pure entertainment movies my final runner-up is a movie that I absolutely adore, I love, and I saw multiple times in the theater. I've seen it multiple times on video, is Big Bullet. Uh, the late Benny Chan, uh, one of his best movies from 1996, a really character-driven movie, um, action movie more so than others. And the cast, Yeah, Lao Ching Wan, Jordan Chan, Teresa Lee, uh, Chung Tat Ming, and Spencer Lam as the cops. Um, and then the villains are... <laughs> Anthony Wong, Yu Rong Gong, uh, Anthony Wong, of course, speaking Italian famously. Um, and of course, the movie was shot in sync Sound, which was which is a great benefit. Just wonderful character bits um, with some spectacular action scenes in it. Um, I think that's one of the one of the last that and probably full alert of the last great you know Hong Kong cop movies of the 90s. Um, holds up extremely well, again, about 90 minutes long, does what it needs to do. Even the the. The ending is a little bit of a letdown. Um, it's slight letdown just because they ran out of money. I interviewed Benny Chan and he told me this, um, that they ran out of money. Um, but the movie is still extremely satisfying just because of the love the characters have. So I highly, highly recommend Big Bullet.
0: So we're going to start our countdown. And both Lisa and I have to cede the floor after we tell you what our tens are because they're movies that come back later. <laughs> um, so starti- starting with Lisa, then me, then Joey, then Jeff. That'll be our order. So number 10, Lisa, you
1: have? I have uh, Swordsman 2 at number 10. Swordsman 2, I think, is possibly the single most demented film ever made. Um, When I wrote about it in the cinema of Choi Hawk, I talked about everything that happens in just the first seven minutes. It's crazy. Um, It, of course, is also distinguished by the introduction of Brigitte Lynn as Asia the Invincible, which is like one of the greatest characters in all of cinema, as far as I'm concerned. Um, And her amazing glare, which absolutely pins the audience to its seat she's incredible um jet lee is wonderful in it um i just love everything about that movie i love the the way it's shot i love the, the fight choreography i love the performances i love just the sheer craziness of it um unlike it's like obviously hong kong movies are known for their craziness but what's great about swordsman too is that it's craziness which is so beautifully done um i mean i just think about scenes like where asia the invincible is just flinging needles at people and she's gorgeous and, the, and her gestures are gorgeous and the the amount of blood that comes out of just flinging a needle at someone is crazy and it's just it's an incredible film and we will open the floor for discussion when we get to
0: number three because somebody has it at number three so um but, and my number 10 is uh, the five element ninjas, AKA Chinese super ninjas, which uh, is someone's number nine. So I will talk about it more when we have open discussion. And I already kind of introduced like how I found it and that's kind of important, but uh, the Chang Che classic, the five element ninjas, which uh, I will just say this, it's an, it's all filmed on a soundstage, but it does not matter. The movie is epic and crazy um, and Dan Halstead said that if you don't like Five Element Ninjas, you don't like Kung Fu movies, and I agree with him. This movie is just totally bananas and also has one of my favorite lines of English dubbing when, when the, the, the leader finds out that he's poisoned and, and he says, I cannot do Kung Fu for at least two weeks. Um, how you design a poison that can prevent you from doing Kung Fu for two weeks is one of my favorite things about that movie. So that's my number 10. Uh, the Five Element Ninjas. Joey, your number 10.
2: Uh, my number 10 is School on Fire, uh, Ringo Lam's movie. Uh, I always thought Ringo Lam, of all the Hong Kong action auteurs, his films always felt really, really different. And I, I felt like uh, they weren't really being copied. No one was trying to follow <laughs> Ringo Lam. And uh, that uh, School on Fire, to me, is probably like his, maybe his grimmest movie, uh, the most violent, the most delirious, but it's also, I think, the most felt. Although it has a kind of form of an exploitation movie, I think it, the soul is kind of a protest, a wail of despair that uh, that uh, he feels very strongly about. Um, and it's, it's just a very intense movie uh, and very unusual. I don't know that we'll see many more movies like that uh, in Hong Kong. So uh, for that reason alone, I think it uh, deserves to be seen and be remembered as a uh, one of Ringo Lam's best movies. And Roy Chung, who's great in so many movies, uh, is absolutely despicable as a villain in this movie. Uh, it's, I mean, uh, his uh, death, when it comes, uh, you'll be very happy to see him get it. Um, it is on Amazon Prime, but be warned, it's uh, it's been edited. And I think the only, and I think the only version that has the complete, all the complete scenes is, uh, was a VHS. So there's a version, I think, floating around on YouTube or something where they've provided the cut beats that were cut out of the version that's on uh DVD and on um, and on Amazon Prime. Jeff probably knows he can correct me if I just misspoke.
3: No, I think you're right. I think the uncut version is really hard to find. Even the even the Blu-ray that just came out is still cut, but it's still great.
0: Yeah. School on Fire, open the floor. Anybody else have anything they want to say on Skull on Fire? I love all the on Fire movies. They're they're yeah. all both C.
3: I would say that this movie was really close to being an honorable mention or on my list. It's my favorite of the Ringo lamb films. Um, yeah. It's, it's just, it's spectacular. And Joey called it. And um, it's I, when you mentioned Roy Chung as the most despicable villain and I, I had dinner with Roy Chung in Hong Kong in, in 1998 through a mutual friend. And I told him, I said, I've never it's kind of a spoiler, forgive me, but I've never been happier to see a character get killed in a movie in my life. And I said, so thank you for that. And he seemed to appreciate that. So that was nice. But yeah, it's it's just a great, great film. Gritty. And um, yeah, it feels like a, a cry, you know, a cry of anger. You're right, Joey. Um, so number 10 is one. I don't know if people talk about it as much, but um, I absolutely love Savior of the Soul from 1991 starring, uh, Andy Lau, Anita Moy, Aaron Kwok, Gloria Yip. I, I, a movie I just adore, just really almost like, like I said, a masala movie. I'm just, you know, obviously made commercial with commercial considerations in mind, considering you have a bunch of pop idols in the acting roles, but, um, pure pure entertainment um i actually saw this i didn't see it when it first opened but i actually saw this at the amc burbank it played in a hong kong festival and i saw it side and scene and you know five minutes in my my head was about to explode um some of the most amazing and entertaining sword fights i've ever seen in my life i think you know forget princess bride Soldier of really soul has got better sword fights in it really wacky bizarre action but just really Amazing what you can do, you know. Back in the, the pre-CGI days, just showing what you can do with practical effects, you know, flying around, um, you know, what is it called? The horrible angel. He, he inhales this gas and then can pass through people and possess them. You know, I could go, you know, go on and on. There's just so much going on. It just, just pure fun. I wish it was something more available. I don't even know if it's on Prime or anything anywhere. Um, I still have my Laserdisc, which was remixed into Dolby Surround. It had a great Dolby Surround mix. Um, and I have the DVD, the unfortunately non-anamorphic DVD. With all these remasters, Blu-ray masters, you got it too? Yeah. (laughs) yeah. With all these Blu-ray masters coming out, you know, and movies that I never imagined that would see on Blu-ray, I keep hoping one day Savior of the Soul is going to be coming out. Although a friend of mine who works in Hong Kong says that Andy Lau actually owns the movie, so it's time to hit up Andy Lau for Savior of the Soul. uh, Is that
0: his first film? Because it's got to be early. Who, Um, Andy? Andy Lau. Or- oh no, no!
3: His first movie was Boat People. Oh no, Boat People, or in '82. So he'd been around even longer. Oh,
0: I didn't that. realize he'd been around that long. That okay.
3: was one of the first ones I saw him in, though. That's that's yeah. for sure. I think Boat People are on the wrong track. or his first movies?
0: Yeah, um, that's kind of the movie that I first discovered Andy Lau on. Yeah, no, good way to start. Yeah. Um, all right, save your soul. Open the floor. Anybody have anything else they want to add on, uh, or we'll go to Lisa's number nine.
2: Uh, I love. that. Oh. I just want to add that I love that movie as well. I mean, Andy Lau, Anita Mui at the peak of their star power. Leon Lai is. I mean, I have to say one of his great best roles, right? Now. Yeah. Aaron Kwok, right? Well, oh, Aaron Kwok. I'm sorry. I'm an idiot. Uh, sorry. Right. I, I get the four heavenly kings. Mixed okay, edit that time. part out uh, there. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, he he's amazing. I love the weapon, the little kind of wiggly sword that uh, that Andy Lau uses. I think he doubles as his belt. Is that right? It's been yeah, forever since right. I've seen that. <laughs> um absolutely love it. Andy Lau singing uh You're the one that I want from Greece. Another great moment in that movie. Yeah, just big fan. Oh, I would and- love to watch it again right now. I, I don't have <laughs> I don't think I have a copy of it anymore.
0: It's
3: a shame. Know,
2: hard
0: to find.
3: And one thing I forgot to, to mention, two two other things just we'll mention is uh, uh one of my favorite uh English subtitle character names. If you remember Karina Lau in the movie, who remembers her name? Joey, do you remember? I don't remember. Oh pet lady
2: (laughs) (laughs) oh you know what else just popped into my head is that uh, jeff did you ever see that isn't there a kind of an alternate version out there with a a scene with an invisible man
3: (laughs) I, i i've heard of that and i know on the i don't i have a poster but there's two versions there's one poster that's like that is like a mosaic of like 50 stills from the movie and I have a friend that has it, but there are there are stills in that poster that are not on the movie, so I'm sure there's an alternate version. And and, and more importantly, do you guys know who wrote the screenplay?
0: Anybody
2: know? I'll let you say
0: yeah. it. Wong Kar-, Wong,
1: Kar- Wong, Kar- Wong Kar Wai. Yeah, Wong Kar Yeah. Wai, yeah. Yep.
0: Oh yeah, I do. Re- uh um, yeah, yeah I remember? Yeah, that was like one of his earliest jobs, probably. Right, right. And that's of his screenplays. That's that's my favorite <laughs> by far. <laughs> All right, Lisa, number
2: nine.
1: I I'll, I will also add to Savior of the Soul, I think it was the first time I saw Aaron Kwok, and it was like, oh, who's that? <laughs> <laughs> he was damn pretty in that movie, frankly. But, um, okay, let's get past that silliness. Um, to number nine, you know, I was... Uh, if you're talking movies in the 80s and 90s, you got to have Jackie Chan in there. And, and um, I thought a lot about what Jackie Chan movie I wanted, but I just kept coming back to Drunken Master 2, which I think might be the first Jackie Chan movie I actually saw. Somehow I missed them up until then, and um, I just went nuts over that movie. And I saw it in a theater um, with a big crowd. And, I mean, just so many scenes that the audience, like we're talking with these other movies, audiences going nuts over but I mean I will never forget Ken Lo at the end doing that leg stretch thing where, you know, the whole audience just about passes out at that moment. And um I love Anita Mui in this one, it's it's one of the great comic performances. Love Tee as her sort of um foil in the comic moments playing um, Wong's father and and it's just it's a great movie it's it's so Jackie is so great in it he's funny he's endearing he kicks ass it's it's just a wonderful movie all
0: right uh open the floor does anybody else have anything on Drunken Master 2? Sure I'll add
3: yeah that another one of, of my favorites um I have a Jackie Chan movie later on and it was a tough call because I wanted to keep it to one um and it was Yeah, it was a kind of a fight between probably three or four movies, and Darker, Massachusetts, definitely that one. Yeah, just just amazing. And what's amazing about that leg stretch is that it's a widescreen movie, and it shouldn't work, but it still (laughs) works when he just is a tiny little, you know, uh, extending his uh, leg power there, you know. You know, I, I... I saw it at the, like you, I saw it at the Quo you know, uh, actually the Bridge Theater in San Gabriel when it first came out. And mm-hmm. and then, but I saw it, was it last year? Or one or two years ago, they showed it at the Vista and I hadn't seen a theatrical print of it in God knows how long, you know, 15, 20 years. And again, the audience, that was a midnight show, packed crowd. Joey, you were there too, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the audience was losing its mind. I mean, and again, and I'll also say, you know, as great as Jackie is, and, you know, of course, that's what it's about. Anita Moy is just, she almost runs away with the movie. She is so damn good in that film. She's yeah. just amazing.
1: Yeah, she's great.
3: And I'll say that there is a, in case people didn't know, there is a Blu-ray available um, internationally that uh, you can order, you know, online uh, from overseas. That is the original version of the film uh, with English subtitles. Um, that that would just um, came out uh, about two years ago. And if you want to see the original version of the film with subtitles, that's the way to go. And it's uncut. The U.S. version cut out the last scene, which, you know, goofy scene, I admit. But you want to see it the way it was done. So I'll just put a shout out for that. And as a, as a just, uh, I work for Warner Brothers and we put it out. And I helped work on that disc as well. So just in disclosure, I want to say that too. But uh, for fellow lovers of Drucker Master 2, that's the best version of the film there is right now.
2: Yeah, it's a beautiful uh, Blu-ray. And Jeff, you guys you guys are doing God's work there. Um, yeah, I can't say anything else. I need a movie amazing, uh, definitely. I mean, I think we have got to mention La <laughs> Carlone. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that was a special sauce in that movie, uh, even though they parted ways by the end. Uh, but yeah, seeing that movie the- theatrically when it first came out was unbelievable. I uh, saw it at the theater in Dallas called The Promenade. And they sold that theater out, I mean, far beyond, you know, it was a fire hazard, basically. There were people sitting in the aisles, people standing on the back wall. Everybody was just going completely crazy through about the last 20 minutes of the movie. And definitely, probably in the top five uh, theatrical movie-going experiences I've had, just because of the sheer enthusiasm of the audience was, was amazing.
3: And boy, and we miss Anita Moy. God, do I miss her still.
2: Oh, yeah. What a
3: loss
0: yeah uh agreed all right so my number nine is a ringo lamb movie as well and that's full contact i love 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 the performances in this movie simon yam uh he's in it right yeah yeah yeah, i just want to make sure i've got it right simon yam is incredible in the movie and uh chow young fat incredible um but what i like about it is full contact is like it's in that whole city on fire kind of hard-boiled like thing that was going on with the gun crime movies in, in, in hong kong but it's so much weirder it has just this kind of insanely weird vibe it doesn't feel it feels off and that's one of the things i love about full contact is it just like feels off uh, Lisa's uh, read my my uh, wushu uh, vampire novel, but uh, in my head, uh, because of full contact, Simon Yam was the evil vampire master in in my book. he he he's who I cast in that because I just freaking loved him in full contact and always like remembered that. And that's why I felt so embarrassed that I almost brain farted that whether it was him or not. Uh, <laughs> but full contact. I, I have not seen it in uh, probably 20 years but it was one of the earliest i had a when i was in college in dayton ohio we had a video store where just miraculously had a guy who was importing hong kong movies and um right after i rented hard-boiled and when i brought back hard-boiled the the vhs he said here watch this and handed me full contact so um i i remember that too Is part of why I think that's so special anybody else opening the floor full contact someone else has got to have an opinion on this one
1: I'll give full contact special points just for the wardrobe (laughs) (laughs) um Simon Yam's jackets deserve some sort of award just on their own but yeah it's a it's a great movie
2: yeah all right so I think I'll I'll uh, have one thing. thing oh go ahead Jeff
3: okay no Joe you first please
1: no, I, I'm
2: just going to quickly add that I think it really is one of Simon Yam's best roles. Yeah. And, uh, hey, let's let's see a prequel, anything. <laughs> it's a great character. <laughs> it's a great performance. <laughs> you know, Awesome.
3: And it, it, um, that movie, the fact that you have Chai and fat and Anthony Wong in that film, the same year, within a few months, actually, of Hard Boiled, is pretty spectacular. Um, I mean, what riches we had in 1990. I mean, most of these years, you could talk about the riches but just, you know, completely different characters, you know, and they're both so damn good in, in both films in completely different roles. Um, and, you know, yeah, but Simon, yeah, Simon is the king of that movie. He's absolutely unforgettable. And give props to Bonnie Fu too. She does some pretty amazing stuff in that movie. She's the uh, the villainess in that. Um, she's <laughs> pretty spectacular moments in that as
2: well. Yeah, she has some amazing lines. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> All right, Joey, you're number
2: nine. Uh, I went with uh, Chunking Express uh, for number nine it was a real uh, it was, a, it was quite a struggle to pick between that or Days of Being Wild. I ultimately went with Chunking Express just because I felt it's the movie I would like to sit down and watch right now <laughs> out of the two. But I love uh, Days of Being Wild as well. I don't think I can really add anything uh, that hasn't already been said about uh, that movie. Uh, but I will say that, you know, Tommy Lung talking to his soap or the giant Garfield, that just uh, makes me smile just thinking about it. All right, so
0: Chunking Express. uh, We want to open the floor. Nobody was... We might be coming back to that, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's a a pretty special movie, um, even if the music choice is a little irritating. Um, I know it's on purpose. Uh, (laughs) So... uh, Are we coming back to that film? Uh oh yes we are coming back to that film so yes so floor closed um and uh so number uh you're correct jeff number number nine okay uh, now we can open
3: the floor to five element ninjas i believe right
2: yes
0: we can
3: (laughs) um yeah this is again um chung you know he he had his you know his masterpieces you know Most of his other films, the masterpieces, are in the 60s and 70s. You know, he's one of the most important directors in Hong Kong, you know, commercial Hong Kong cinema history. Um, This is his, for the 80s, you know, this is his, he was on, you know, his career and Shaw Brothers in general were kind of going down in the early 80s. But boy, oh boy, did they bring out some winners in those early 80s. Again, I didn't grow up with this like you guys did. I came late to this. Um, I didn't see it until it came out, until the Celestial DVD came out probably in the mid-2000s, I want to say. And Joey was always talking to me about how great it was. Um, and I remember the first time I saw it, I think Joey, and I watched it together. Mm-hmm. And my mind was just, you know, uh, I had to pick up my brains from the floor. They had leaked out of my head. Um, just incredible. And I watched it about six months ago with my son, who's now he's 17. He was 16 at the time. Just seeing his reaction was the same that everyone's reaction. Anyone who's partial to the movies like this, how can you not love it? Um, and then getting to see it theatrically, I think uh, we saw it either at the new art or it's in a family, uh, mm-hmm. maybe about five or six years ago with a crowd. Just incredible. that I mean again, that last 10 minutes, I mean there's great scenes throughout the movie, but you know and, and seeing seeing how the protagonist learns to adapt to the ninja's you know various styles and defeat them is, is incredible. It works really well within that. The big flaw of the movie is that the lead actor is not that, you know, you kind of wish there would have been a Fusheng or somebody else in the lead. Because um, this Ricky, 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 I can't remember his last name. He's just not quite up to the level. He's fine. Uh, but it doesn't matter when you have, and then you have, you know, Michael Chan as the head ninja. What What happens to him at the end of the movie is, you know,
0: you know what I'm talking
3: about. Yeah. You got to see yeah. it. Yeah. it's just it's a movie you love
0: <laughs> i would say that that screen that you went to in la was most likely dan Halstead's print I, yes um, i think so yeah. i think so it was
3: a beautiful print
0: yeah About... it was saved from the uh shaw brothers theater that had lain dormant for 20 years in vancouver which is just Amazing. insane that that print like survived but uh, yeah, Five Element Ninjas is just incredible because it's all filmed on a soundstage, but it has such an epic feel because it has, you know, uh, no pun intended, so many elements. It has it has so much style. Chang Cheng made a couple of these movies that were like kind of like bottle episodes of a TV show, um, like House of Traps and Five Element Ninjas, but. He made them not seem like they were small like he made them seem very big and I think one of the, that's one of the things about um five Element ninjas and I think one of the reasons why it just caught on for everyone who had ninjas in it and in the eighties you know kids were wanting to find more ninja movies I mean let's just be honest and and thankfully they it was hard to find the Godfrey Ho ones because if you found those that was that was not a good thing but um <laughs> but if you found five element ninjas that was a good thing and um i love that movie so yes. agreed uh anybody else on five element
2: ninjas i'm just a you know a seismic movie of my childhood that's all i can really say and it's really those you know two long set pieces with the ninjas that were just burned into my brain for so long as a child but then you know i found it again as a teenager on vhs and uh I was like a little worried like is this gonna hold up and uh and uh sure enough i was i was instantly like calling all my friends like dragging them over to my house to show them the, all these scenes from it uh yeah so love it still love it great movie
0: great movie all right lisa your number eight is obviously going to be discussed more later but, oh yeah but give us your reasons why you have the killer at number eight
1: I think The Killer must be the single most bootlegged film in history. Um, I, I, it's amazing how many people came to Hong Kong cinema through a VHS bootleg of The Killer. I did. Um, it was one of those things that a friend handed me this thing one day. It was like, yeah, he's, he's whispering. You've got to see this. You've got to see this. And you're thinking, what is it? Porn? What? I mean, you know, and you take it home, and you put it on and your, your mind is blown. Oh, my God. Where do I get more of this? And so, yeah. Uh, I know everyone practically has The Killer on their list, so I, I won't say much more about it. Everybody listening to this has seen it. You know. all know how great it is.
0: Yes, and we will come back to The Killer because at least uh, one of us has it as number one. Yeah, so my number eight is one that I discussed on another episode of this podcast, this trilogy, which is um, Tai Chi Master that and Wu Ping's Tai Chi Master. Now, here's the weird part. I had a Jet Li movie higher on my Jet Li list that's not on this list, which is confusing, but I think Fist of Legend is a better Jet Li movie as a Jet Li movie, but I think Tai Chi Master is a better movie as a Hong Kong movie. And one of the things I like about Tai Chi Master is Tai Chi Master is one of the rare, like, 90s um, Hong Kong movies that really feels like a throwback to the Shaw Brothers era. It feels like it came out of the, it feels like it could have been a 70s um, Shaw Brothers movie with just slightly better wire foo. And of course it's Michelle Yeoh and Jet Li in the same movie. How can you go wrong there with Yun Wu ping fights? In our Jet Li episode, Outlaw Vern gives a really deep analysis of the relationship between the brothers and how it relates to the fact that the one brother stays a vegetarian and the other one goes and like lives the excesses of the world and all that. I'm not going to go that deep into, <laughs> into this, but I do think that Tai Chi master is, um, is really up there as, as, as one of the best. And I broke kind of the rules by picking two Yu and Wu-Ping movies. And I decided I was going to match directors. I was just going to get my list, but yeah, Tai Chi master, the floor is open because I'm, believe well no Joey you might have Tai Chi Master on your list
2: right I I don't but I do love the movie and I do think it's one of Jet Li's best movies of the 90s okay so let's open the floor with Tai Chi Master
0: Joey you said that um, Lisa do you have anything you want to say on Tai Chi Master
1: nothing other than now I have to go watch it again
0: (laughs) yeah well that's gonna happen a lot today
3: yeah yeah um, I'll I'll say um, one thing that's going to be maybe surprising. I've only seen the movie once, believe it or not. Mm. I saw it. I saw it at the. Uh, wait, I'm gonna look at my cheat sheet here. I saw it at the Bridge Theater, which was the old Kohua Theater. But what's interesting is I saw it the night after the Northridge earthquake. Mm. So throughout the whole movie, whenever because this would happen in the Coahuila or in the Bridge Theaters, like because it was on a big street and like a, a a big truck would drive by and the whole theater would shake. So probably every five, 10 minutes during watching Tai Chi Master, I'm like, "Oh my God, was that an aftershock?" <laughs>
0: so um, but I do have the PTSD de- to- on, on the yeah, show. no,
3: totally, totally. And I saw it on a double film with a film with an Eric Sang movie. It was on a double feature, an Eric Sang movie called che- Cheese and Ham," which I have no memory of seeing. I got a lot of those weird double features, but I do um, <laughs> need to revisit Tai Chi Master, and I think I'll watch it with my son probably in the next month or two. So I'm looking forward to coming back to that.
0: Yeah, it's a great movie. Joey, your number eight is one I've never
2: seen. Oh, um, at number eight, I put The Longest Night, uh, which uh, which, uh, was a big uh, movie for me when it was released. I think, uh, well, you know, maybe it's fair to say kind of the future of Hong Kong cinema was a little uncertain (laughs) at that point. Um, But uh, for me, that movie just thrust me we're back into full Hong Kong cinema love mode which I had never fallen out of but I wasn't paying cl- as close attention as maybe I should have been uh, for a couple of years there and I was just obsessed with that movie uh kind of came out of nowhere for me and even though I think there had been Milky Way image productions before that uh I, that's where I became a Milky Way fan uh and becoming a Milky Way fan changed my life uh because I wound up working from Milky Way uh, later on but that movie in particular uh, I just it kind of ticks all the boxes for me it's got this wonderful compressed time frame this uh, just nonstop parade of unsavory unrepentant characters the uh, plotting and suspense and tension just keeps tightening and tightening and tightening uh, under this uh, maybe sub 90 minute uh, running time which is another thing <laughs> that I love about it uh, so much of the story is told visually it's so atmospheric um it's a great rip-off uh soundtrack of <laughs> midnight express i mean i i could go on and on but i just kind of kept dragging people to see this movie it's really grim uh it's really dark it's really uncompromising but if that uh, sounds like your cup of tea then i highly recommend it and uh lao ching um Tony Long and Lao Ching Wan are in this movie, but Lao Ching Wan just owns the movie. He's amazing in it. And uh... I'm sold. I haven't seen it. Now I need to. Uh,
0: <laughs> open the floor. Anybody else want to talk about The Longest Night?
3: I'll, I'll be happy to jump in. This one was just scraped the bottom of my list. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's one of the, you know, that, that year, 98, they had, Milky Way had three films. It's funny, I looked up and um, Longest Night opened on New Year's Day in Hong Kong in 1998. They had this, Expect the Unexpected, and uh, A Hero Never Dies. Both of which are, I mean, all three of which are just terrific. But Longest Night mighty, might, is probably the best of them. As Joey said, it's 84 minutes long. It does what it needs to do, and then it stops. And boy, oh boy, it goes places that I, I remember first seeing it. Joey, you and I might have seen it together, actually. We might have been there. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think we might have gone back again. Um, but uh, I yeah. remember just being shocked you know, by what what happens, what transpires in many moments throughout the movie. And it's, um, I, I, I have the DVD here, which is just, it's an awful DVD. It's an early non-anamorphic DVD of a, of a scope movie with teeny tiny uh, subtitles. I, I'm praying that those three Milky Way, early Milky Way films get remastered sometimes because they're crying out for it. But yeah, I mean both Tony, Tony and Le Ching Wan were nominated for best actor that year at the Hong Kong film awards. And they're just staggering in it. You know, it's, it's, that might be, I don't know, that could be Milky Ways. It's saying something, but that might be the best Milky Way movie ever. In my opinion, it's close. It's top three, if not the best.
2: I also, I don't know, I, although I, it's not the last movie, Jeff and I were talking about this the other day and it's not the last movie that uh, we saw at the co-op, but uh was one of feels like it was one of the last movies, and my last memory of the KOA was walking out and seeing a poster for *Expect the Unexpected* and being so excited to see that movie. And uh, the KOA disappeared, and the movie never played Los Angeles. Yep.
0: Mm, that was a theater in uh, in LA, like Saint Gabriel. Sure. Okay, gotcha. It was a tw-
3: it was a twin theater.
0: Yeah, gotcha. a lot of good memories there. Long gone. Yeah. All right, Jeff, you're number
3: eight. Okay, my number eight is, uh, we're going with a classic Hong Kong drama. Uh, Maybe, you know, of all the dramas I've seen, and I might be forgetting one or two, but probably the best Hong Kong drama I've ever seen, um, Comrades, Almost a Love Story. 1996, directed by Peter Chan, starring uh, Maggie Chung and uh, Leon Lai absolutely fantastic, uh, wonderful drama about mainland immigrants coming to Hong Kong and eventually making their way to the United States. Its thread is they're both lovers of the singer Teresa Tang, and they use a lot of her songs throughout the film. Um, Actually, the Chinese title is Tim Mat Mat, which is the name of one of her famous songs. Um, It's taken place from the 80s, from like 1986, I believe, through 1996. Just a lovely movie. And, you know, we all love Maggie Chung. This maybe probably is her best performance ever. It, um, I was actually, the first time I went to Hong Kong in the 90s uh, for Giant Robot, I went to the awards and that was the main winner. That swept the awards and won nine Hong Kong film awards. Best picture, best director, best actress, um, best supporting actor, Eric Tsang, who's absolutely fantastic at it, playing a dramatic role. I mean, this goofy guy who played Popeye in a Bruce Lee knockoff movie in the 70s, you never guessed that he could pull <laughs> off such an incredible, incredible dramatic role. Um, and does it? It's just magnificent. Um, Christopher Doyle actually has a has a has a small role in it as well. The famous, you know, one car cinematographer. cinematographer um, shot on location in New York as well. Um, uh, just a really <clears throat> solid, you know, very moving drama. And I think it means a lot for people. My my wife is, um, you know, is from China originally and she's been here a long time, but we watched that uh, back in the nineties and it really affected her and she really could relate to it. So I think for a lot of people um, it's, you know, it it means it it is uh, indicative of the experience of emigrating from China, you know, into either to Hong Kong and into the West as well, but just a wonderful movie. There is a, again, disclosure, um, there is a, Warner Brothers DVD of the film, sorry, Warner Brothers Blu-ray uh, that is out in Hong Kong. And it's, I believe it's still available if anyone wants to see it. That's the best way to see it. Um, they did a really nice, it's a true uh, HD transfer as well. So just a great movie that I think um, people don't, you know, maybe not remember as much because of its inavailability. you know, and
0: it doesn't, it's hard to find nowadays. Okay, the floor is open. Does anyone else have anything we want to say about Comrade's love story?
2: Uh, I haven't seen it in a long time, but I remember... You know really enjoying it. Um, and I also just have to give a shout out to Jeff for maybe maybe being the only person in history to work a uh Dragon Lives Again reference <laughs> into his comrade's love story <laughs> <laughs> dissertation.
0: <laughs> Thank you, Joey. Lisa. Your number seven is definitely ranked number two by somebody, but your number seven,
1: my number seven is Choi Hawks the Blade. Um
0: which is a oh, movie wait.
1: I I'm sorry I had that wrong no nobody else has the blade you changed. I, I didn't think so I did I changed it yeah. um yeah I swapped out something else for the blade um I I love the blade because it's a movie that I'll put on when I'm in a bad mood and it makes me realize there's nothing so terrible about anything in my life given how terrible everything is in the blade it's a movie that is more full of rage I think than any movie ever made which I love about it. The rage is channeled into these gorgeous, insane fights and these beautiful images. And um, it's bloody. It's incredibly violent. It, trigger warnings all over the place in this thing. Um, so, yeah, I i almost don't want to talk anything more about it because people will end up going, why on earth would anyone like this? It sounds dreadful. But uh, it kind of has to be seen to be believed.
0: For. So- Whatever reason I was able to see the Blade in the theater in Indiana, which is very odd, but there was a art house theater in Indianapolis that showed Time and Tide when it was released, and they did they had some incredible programmer randomly at this theater in Indianapolis the night that Time and Tide was released. He also showed Once Upon a Time in China two and The Blade randomly, and so I drove an hour and watched all three <laughs> in the theater. You know, well I an hour to do that. And I don't regret it. The blade was great. It is, it is a nihilistic uh, remake of the one-armed swordsman. Um, it's hard to believe that it's kind of, that, that it was meant to be a, a darker version of that story, but it's, it's incredible. Yeah. I love the blade. So sorry to <laughs> cut in there. Anybody else on, <laughs> on the blade? Lisa, I'm sorry. Did did I, Cut you off?
1: No, I think I like I said I I don't want to talk anything more about it because people will end up saying she's a terrible person for loving a movie that has that awful stuff in it. So, uh,
0: oh. Joey or Jeff, anything, anybody want to add to the blade?
2: Uh, I'm a terrible person as well. I love this movie. Um, I wrote the program notes for the for the film festival showing in Dallas. Uh, I think it's amazing. It was very shocking at the time as a Troy Hart fan. Very unexpected. For him complete you know hard turn from everything that he'd been doing but kind of also a return to some of his earlier uh, work and uh, as a guy that normally uh, hates uh, handheld <laughs> shaky cam in movies, I think uh, the blade is one of those rare exceptions and uh, I just have to give a special mention to the scene where the uh, cameraman drops into the dirt and just starts rolling around with the fighters. It's really amazing moment. yeah incredible. Incredible
3: stuff. I, yep. I can add a couple of things, and this is very interesting because I'm I'm geeky on uh, factoids like this, but as we speak right now, today is the 25th anniversary of the release of the blade in Hong wow. Kong.
1: Wow. Ah. <laughs> yep. Wow.
3: Yep. Yeah, it's the 21st in Hong Kong already when we're recording this. So yeah, today's the 25th. I think it's again, this is one that just scraped the 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 bottom of the list, you know. I, right now I'm thinking it probably should be on the list. Uh it's it's a great great movie um i think what's cool about it too it was shot in probably at that time rare for our troy hark movie it was shot in sync sound so you have the the cantonese version at least as all the the actors real voices which adds to it and the um yeah like joey said i'm not a big fan of when they speed up things but when they speed it up in the end of the movie it makes sense because it is just it is just careening towards this this epic confrontation and of insanity and everything works there, um, and uh, it's funny. I I, I Hung Yan Yan, who plays the villain in the film, um, I interviewed him in Hong Kong too, uh, and um, he said he was really disappointed with the ending because they didn't have time to finish it. And I'm thinking, geez, you know, what else could <laughs> they have done? I mean, it's such it's such a fever pitch, you know. I couldn't have gone on much longer than it had. I, I don't know, um, but. Uh, but yeah, it, it's a masterpiece. That's, um, that's, you know, of, of, you know, the many, many great Troy Hart masterpieces. It's comfortably there up with, uh, some of his best, I think.
2: And knowing Yan Yan is great in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. So my number seven is one that we're going to come back to. So I will be short on it, but, um, and that's Ronnie Yu's the bride with white hair, which, um, is one of the movies that it's a comfort movie for me for a long time. It's a movie that I could just throw on and, and, and watch um, uh, a bazillion times. It's uh, delightfully weird. Uh, It's another one of those movies that was all filmed on soundstage. And it's, it's unbelievable to think that it was filmed in such a small scale. I, this is a movie that I wish around the time when Ronnie Yu did Fearless, if I could make anything happen, just wish I wish Ronnie Yu could remake this movie with a budget it, during that phase. I know we're long past the ability for that to happen, but um, the only thing that I don't like about The Right With White Hair is I do think that the lack of budget, it, it shows from time to time. But not in a terrible way. It doesn't ruin it. It's still <laughs> number seven on my list. So, but I just think every once in a while, I think to myself, man, if he had just had a little bit more resources, that movie could have just been uh, twice as bananas. So, but we'll come, I, I'm not going to open the floor because we'll come back to that because Lisa has that on her list as well. So number seven, Joey. Uh, I went
2: with, police. what's that?
0: We're returning to Jackie Chan, right?
2: Yeah, I went to uh, Police Story. Uh, again, the the reason, again, it was a very difficult pick because, you know, Drunken Master 2, um, Project A. I mean, you know, you could just go on and on. There's so many <laughs> movies that I could have picked. But I picked Police Story just because it kind of fell into that time in my life when I was getting back into Hong Kong movies. And I had found uh, Super Ninjas and VHS and was trying to dive in and just started watching everything. You know, all the ocean shores, <laughs> everything that I could find. And that's, you know, I found Police Force, uh, which was the dubbed VHS version of Police Story and absolutely blew me away, uh, blew my mind. And even though I think it was several years till I really could catch up with it, I knew how amazing he was, um, how amazing that movie was. And the, the stunt sequences are still, I mean, they still hold up. They're still incredible. They're still being imitated. So say what we will about Jackie Chan, where he is today, there's no denying what a force he was uh, back then. And that was a very special movie for
1: me.
0: Uh, okay, the floor's open. Police story. Anybody else want to comment?
1: I am. Um, I weighed that one as well. Although for me, I think the only reason I didn't include police story was I couldn't decide between police story one, two, or three. So I went with <laughs> Drunken Master two.
0: Yeah, I think the whole trilogy is amazing. Yeah. Uh, some of jackie chan's best work i'm not a huge jackie chan fan but i do love police story so. yeah
3: i i think a police story like me that was the first of the classic i mean i had seen big brawl on cable you know back in the early 80s but that was the first you know true jackie chan movie i actually saw through that police force the dubbed police force release from the late 80s but yeah no police Story is, is a masterpiece i love I, I i love all three of the police stories do um i don't you know, First Strike doesn't really feel like a story movie, but, you know, those three are fantastic. You know, just great, great movies.
0: All right, uh, Jeff, your number seven is one I have not seen. Oh, okay. Well, okay.
3: Um, I, um, one of my earliest, when I first started, you know, going sight unseen to the Hong Kong movies at the State Theater in Pasadena for that brief period when they showed Hong Kong movies, i just go and see whatever there was, you know, um, and One day I went and saw a movie, and this is not the movie, but I saw a movie called Magnificent Scoundrels, and one of the lead actor, I thought, God, this guy is really funny. Anyway, that lead actor was Stephen Chow. I am a huge Stephen Chow fan. I adore him. I think he's a genius. I think he's amazing, you know, and it was a tough call to pick my favorite movie, and it was a a battle between Love on Delivery, which might be his funniest movie ever, if you really get down to it, but close behind at least and i think a better movie and is his best overall is god of cookery which i absolutely adore 1996 um co-starring karen moth who's amazing in it um really unforgettable she looks they made her up to look absolutely horrible in the film and she does a great job she got uh she actually got a best Actress nomination in hong kong for that but god of cookery is you know the classic stephen chow formula where he's this jerk you know who gets brought down, discovers errors of, of his ways, and then rises up again to conquer all. There are so many brilliant sight gags. I mean, there are just so many great moments in this movie. This is another one that's a shame that it's not. It was it was on Netflix a few years ago for a while. I think it was one of the the uh, Miramax movies that they bought and then never did anything with. So they actually had a really nice master of it on Netflix a few years back. But now it's tough to be found. I have a non again a non anamorphic DVD. Um, I've seen that. I think I saw this theatrically maybe three or four times and have seen it you know probably twice as many times as that on video just great moments there's even a scene where um where they had they had a take that they had a bad takes because a couple of the actors kept cracking up and they left that in the movie there's a scene where a guy's trying to read his lines and he's he's cracking up and Stephen chow's trying you could see him trying to stifle his laughs but they just kept it in the film and then you know there's a great moment um the great use of those at the 18 Bronze Men of Shaolin. There's a gag they do like four times in the movie at every single time it's funny. It shouldn't be funny after like the second time, but it is. Um, and great, great, you know, if ridiculous, um, you know, uh, culinary scenes, you know, almost on par with the the uh, stuff in the Chinese feast Lisa will know about. Um, but great uh, scenes of cooking. It makes you, if you like barbecued pork rice, it looks the most delicious looking barbecue pork rice I've ever seen on film but just hilarious and um a great great movie
0: see as a vegan that's why i've always avoided that oh movie. yeah even though i'm a stephen chow fan i i like you know i think that's why i've never seen god of cookery but uh ah. but I, I i do like stephen chow um i shall in soccer kung, kung fu House, all that yeah. but love and delivery is one that i'm going to add to my list because i have heard you're the second person to tell me that is as movie. So. as movies.
3: Love and Delivery just as a quick aside, that's the only movie where I was like, I laughed to tears during the trailer. <laughs> so my favorite side gag in movie history is in Love and Delivery.
0: Alright, so open the floor. Anybody else want to talk about God of Cookery before we move on?
2: I, would yeah, I
1: considered god of cookery too actually um but if if this was a discussion about the 2000s there would be two stephen chow movies on it so i decided yep. to rule out god of cookery in the 90s <laughs> <laughs> all right
2: uh, yeah i was gonna just throw in real quick that uh i feel like one of the the big flaws on my list is that there's no stephen chow movie on it and there was initially um and it really flirted with you know king of comedy and uh, and uh, love on delivery uh, and from Beijing with love, but in the end, uh, it got bumped. But uh, God of Cookery is special because it's the one movie where Kara Mark may show up, Stephen Chow, in that movie. I mean, she's just amazing. So, yeah. all right, Lisa, your number
1: six. My number six is The Bride with White Hair, which you already brought up. Um, Ronnie Yu at his most glorious before they brought him to Hollywood and made him make. Freddy Krueger movies which are fun Freddy Krueger movies but not up to the level of Bride of White Hair which I find an incredibly sexy movie among other things the chemistry between Leslie Chung and and Brigitte Lin is insane Um, they were kind of the first couple in a Hong Kong movie to suggest some really naughty positions which was interesting um I think Leslie was proud of that particular thing I've heard him interviewed talking about some of those scenes um I just but I just love the whole movie it's it's gorgeous um the performances those two lead performances are great and then of course you know the Siamese craze Siamese twin villains are great so
0: yeah yeah it's huge and um and I should I should add too that I there are two or three tiny little Easter egg nods to bride with white hair and my novel hunting the moon tribe. So um, that may go over everyone's head, but they're in there for me. Uh, (laughs) uh,
2: Bride with white hair, the floor is open. Loved them. Loved it. Uh, Absolutely loved it. It's it's painful to to realize the movies that aren't on the list on my list, Uh, but Bride of white hair is a, is a classic and uh, they are just amazing in the movie and, Like Lisa said, it's gorgeous. It's sexy. uh, It's touching. It's moving. It's exciting. It's everything.
3: I'll add, I'll give a little, um, kind of something surprising. When I first saw Bride with White Hair, I was, it didn't, I liked it, but it didn't blow me away. I think I was in the midst of a Wuxia overkill. I actually preferred the sequel better, believe it or not. And I know it's not a popular thing. I need, I haven't watched them in probably close to 20 years. I have the the, the double feature Blu ray from Hong Kong here, not the new British one, but I do have it. So I'm eager to go back to that. Um, I did like it more when I saw it a few times afterwards. Um, but uh, what's, what's amazing is that when we watch, you know, you watch the film, that's one of the few Hong Kong movies that has two Oscar winners working on it. Because you've got Peter Pao, you know, who's the best, probably the best cinematographer in Hong Kong history, you know, who won the Oscar for Crouching Tiger. But you have also the costumes are by Amy Wada, who won the Oscar for Ron. So it's kind of a rarity on that, um, but the production values of it, it it really is amazing. Just at that time, how it was, you know, beyond almost anything else that was being made in Hong Kong at the time in terms of the production values. It's just, it is amazing. And the music's beautiful too. And then the two leads, oh, good Lord. And then got to mention, um Francis Ng and Elaine Loy as the uh, Siamese twin villains. <laughs> pretty, pretty amazing. They do some naughty stuff in that too, don't they? Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> Yeah.
0: yeah, And uh, Ronnie, you mentioned that the, uh, I remember listening, I think it was the commentary track he did for it. He mentioned that the studio was so hot inside that like people were getting heat strokes on the set left <laughs> and right. And mm-hmm. like, uh, he just said that the, it created this kind of like feverish atmosphere for what they were filming. And I think that shows up in the movie. And that's one of the things that makes it uh, kind of so insane. All right. So if, anything else in the brain with white hair?
3: I just want to say, if you watch the sequel again, which I think is a very good movie too, um, you too can definitely tell Ron- Better. yeah, no, but you can tell Ronnie, you came back to, to direct the, the end of the movie, which he did. And you can tell that because it does feel that the last, what, 10 minutes or so feels like the first movie more than the rest of the sequel does, in my opinion.
0: All right, so for, for my number six, um, now a lot of talk in the modern era, people like always point to The Raid as being like the most bonkers, violent, crazy action movie of all time, but I'm going to have to go with my number six, Sammo Hung's Eastern Condors. To my money is the most insane of the 80s Hong Kong action movies for just sheer violence and scenes where you just like go like this. And, and uh, th- there is no way that people didn't get seriously injured or paralyzed in the making of this movie. And it scares me when I watch it sometimes. Uh, it has the best stabbing of all time in a movie. Um, and, and I don't say that lightly. Um, it just Eastern Condors is just insanely violent. Sammo Hung kills someone with a blade of grass, which is just crazy. And I think for my money the villain is one of my favorite villains and of course that actor went on to play the husband of the landlord in Kung Fu Hustle which uh I don't know his name but he is just diabolical and and literally twirling his mustache in the movie and and just amazing everybody's there Ewan Wu-Ping Corey Ewan uh Ewan Biao uh Sam uh, Sam Oh Hung um I think one of his best uh, like physical performances not not necessarily acting but like martial arts performances um and it's a remake of the dirty dozen basically which is insane and um so i love eastern condors um i think it's it, it's an infinitely watchable you can watch it over and over and the terrible special effects only add to it and the use of stock footage that we all know is stock footage has been seen a million times from the vietnam war when the helicopter goes off The it, yeah it's just all it's crazy i love it eastern condors opening the floor <laughs> anybody got
3: oh, it sure yeah I'll, I'll i'll hop in i know joy's gonna hop in too um but uh, yeah i know this is another one that just missed the end it just scraped the bottom of the list i i absolutely love it it's probably my favorite of the samurai movies that and magnificent and butcher probably are the two. but yeah for a dirty doesn't rip off you know it's you can't get any better than this um and you mentioned about Samuel. I mean, he is so lean in this movie. This is probably the leanest you've ever seen Samuel. He was in the best shape probably of his of his career there. Yeah, he looks, he's just really badass. And I love the, um, oh, I mentioned uh, the actor you're talking about is yun Hua. Yeah, he's he is just awesome in this. Um, absolutely incredible with his little giggle and his fanning himself all the time. You know, <laughs> he's just fantastic and it has in the end fight it has my favorite kick to the face of any movie probably in history when uh it. yun biao kicks billy chow in the face it is and the sound it makes is so crunchy and satisfying i just love that moment and one one other cool thing one of the few uh oscar-winning actors who appear in a hong kong movie too with Hang uh, hangis Nior is in it lest we forget from the killing fields so a little fun trivia there Anyway, yeah i love eastern condors
0: yeah and um there is a reference to eastern condors in my science fiction novel goddamn killing machines uh which is also cool. a science fiction dirty dozen ripoff so um i awesome I, I will put that out there and um there's a scene where a character falls on a staircase that's the scene that i think somebody was permanently in yeah Chewie, eastern
2: condors I just wanted to add, you know, the, that, uh, the camera work, you know, Sam was filmmaking in that movie. Uh, I think he was really accomplished by that time and, uh, his, uh, way of shooting and editing the action sequences was really unique. Um, and, uh, the use of tracking shots, uh, Oh, lost you job. Uh, the use of tracking shots and, uh, when he goes in for a wide, when he goes in for a close-up, how he edits, uh, the, the editing could be extremely fast, but it's always a completely coherent, um, which is not easy to do. Um, it's really amazing, that movie in particular. And even though I'm not a huge fan of the uh, of the movie, certainly not of Eastern Condors, but uh, not, a, not anywhere near the level of Eastern Condors, but Heart of the Dragon is another one where the finale of that, just the camera work, the editing... Um, it's really, it's really amazing and really, uh, special. So, yeah, I think Eastern Condors is one of Samo's, you know, greatest achievements as a director. And as just far as pure bone crunching action, yeah, you can't do any better than that. And yin hua is amazing in that. And his, uh, also makes me think of his role in Dragons Forever as the cigar puffing baddie, who's also very over the top with lots of fun quirks. Well,
0: that's why it's so interesting to see him in Kung Fu Hustle where he's like, being bullied by you know in the in that role, it's just it's great. It's a great uh, reversal. So Joey, your number six is one that we also that I have higher on
2: my list, but uh, your number six, heroic trio. Um, this this is originally uh, I think the first round of this list I, I kind of debated about whether or not to put it on because of the two directors thing, but uh but yeah, I love heroic trio, love everything about it. Um, it's a special movie for me. It's one of the first movies I was ever paid to write a movie review of in my, uh, in my uh, movie reviewing days, which was done with more enthusiasm than expertise, but Hey, but uh, yeah, absolutely love the movie. Love everything about it. Soundtrack, uh, three performances. We'll talk more about it. Anthony Wong eating his own fingers. It's a a wonderful movie. Gold. Yeah. We, we will definitely
0: come back very soon to, 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 uh, the Rogue Trio. So number six, Jeff. Okay. Well, for this,
3: I went with Once Upon a Time in China 2. That is my favorite of the entire series. Um, it might be my favorite martial arts, period martial arts movie ever. Um, or at least, you know, somewhat serious period martial arts movie. Um, I think it just, even more than the first one, which I love the first one as well, um, I think it strikes the the perfect balance between um between uh action and a little bit of historical background it's uh, and it might be because it was the first of the series i saw i saw this one before i saw part one so maybe that has something to do with the two but i think you know you've got a great villain in donnie and um donnie when donnie was working with yun wo that was the best you know i think ever since he broke away broke away from yun wo he's not quite the same you know he's you know he kind of went through a dark period in the mid to late 90s, and I'm glad to see that he's, you know, reemerged from that. But I think um, when he's with Yumol Ping, it's, it's the best. Um, and you have basically the last, I'd say, 25 minutes of this film has three mind-blowing uh, set pieces that would be sufficiently, you know, climaxes in any other movie. You have the White Lotus, uh, you know, fight with the all the the benches and the chairs. Uh, going up to the tower, and then you have the the fight in the I guess it's the grain warehouse, right? And then the final ending in the alley with the uh, the wet, the wet uh, I guess wet towels, I don't know to say it better, the wet cloth as a as a weapon. Um, just, just sensational. And then you know, you've got the you know, you have Sun Yat sen as a you know, supporting character, you've got Shaw Brothers out David Chang, in the supporting role. Um, it's just everything you can want from like a historic martial arts film and
0: I, I absolutely adore it and that's again you know another Troy Hart masterpiece we could talk about. Uh, we talked at length about this one in the Jet Li episode so but I will just say that the reason why it's my favorite of the Wong Fei-Hung Jet Li movies is because I love the kind of Temple of Doom moment that Wong Fei-Hung has in the middle with the White Lotus Act where he drinks the, their potion and spits it out but then is covered in blood and it reminded me of like that whole moment where we thought we lost Indy in Temple of Doom mm-hmm. and uh, so I think that that's just re- a really great storytelling and I, I think Troy Hart was, was on fire with this one. I guess I already opened the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um, I'm sure we're gonna get thoughts from Joey and Lisa on Once Upon a Time in China too.
1: I actually love all of the Once Upon a Time in China movies. I love them all. Um, I even love the one with the pirates when it's Shao and Joe as, as Wang Fei-hong. I, I think they're all great movies. They're just all very entertaining. But as you will hear shortly, I have a favorite in the series. So,
2: Yeah, no, I'd say out of all the painful omissions on on my list, this is probably the most painful one that makes me wonder what I was thinking because I uh, absolutely loves, uh like Lisa, I love all the Once Upon a Time in China movies, but particularly the first two, and it was just a thunderbolt seeing the first Once Upon a Time in China movie. By that time, I was going to the local uh, Chinese theater screenings, so it was a first-run movie opening night, or at least our Dallas opening night, with a huge audience, and it just uh, floored me. Absolutely floored me, and when Jet Li bounds out to the Wong Fei-Hong theme, I think that's on par with Indiana Jones or any of the great uh, movie uh, heroes you can think of, but uh, Once Upon a Time in China 2, maybe even better, but certainly I think it's it's a little bit more of a crowd pleaser, and uh, recently, I think it was a couple of years ago, we do a movie night with friends, and they know nothing about Hong Kong movies, but they know how much I love them, so they They told me to bring a Hong Kong movie. Uh, Show me what I loved about these movies. And I chose Once Upon a Time in China too, And they loved it.
0: Well done.
3: And and as the last thing, I'll just say, just props back to uh, 1992. Because I was just looking at the list of uh, when I first saw Once Upon a Time in China 2. And I saw it on a double feature with Swordsman 2. So it's like, you know, brain, again, brains, you know, scooped up off the floor. 1992 was a pretty special year.
0: (laughs) So, Lisa... Um, Your number five will be basically you explaining why your favorite Once Upon a Time in China movie is the first one.
1: It's the first one because it's the first one I saw. It's the first one in the series. I mean, like I said, I could easily pick two in there. Um, I love them all for different reasons, but... um... The, I saw them in order. Um, so I just instantly fell in love with Jet Li as Wong Fei Hong. I love his performance in this, aside from his ass kicking. He's he's uh, just absolutely delightful in it. And I love his chemistry with Rosman Kwan as the sort of prim and proper love interest, she's delightful. I love all of the supporting characters. Um even Jackie Chung having it up as as Bucktooth. I mean he's he's delightful in it. Um it, it has one of our favorite scenes which we we constantly um emulate in this house which is when they go to their first western style restaurant and they sit down at the table and and they're picking up the silverware and wrong long says why are there so many daggers at the table we that's a that's one of our favorite jokes ever we we actually spout that way too much here
0: yeah the first one's great they're all great uh to a certain degree and and i'm like you i even like the the ones that jet wasn't in and and uh i i, I I think they're all great. anybody want to chime in on the first one, or do they? Do we feel we've Wong Fei Hung enough?
2: The only thing I-, I wanted to add real quick is that when I debate about which Wong Fei Hung movie I like better, one or two, it's the the Master Yim storyline storyline of the villain that that makes it such a hard decision for me. I think all those scenes are so fantastic, and the arc of his character is is a really really moving. Mm.
3: I actually I have a question. I have a question on this for Lisa. She might be able to answer. Because as you know, there's for the first and second once upon a time times, there's two versions. There's a theatrical version and then they put longer versions on video. And I've seen both. I, I think the longer versions are better in both cases, especially in the first film with the whole thing about when he he you see him shoot the bullet with his hand or like in the midpoint of the film. Is it I, I thought I remember hearing that Troy Hart didn't authorize those extended versions. Do you know if that's the case?
1: I actually don't. I'd I'd like to find out the answer to that myself.
3: Okay. Someone told me that that he didn't authorize those. Same with the like same with Dragon Inn. I heard that those were unauthorized extended versions done probably to to put it on to two laser discs instead of one remember the good old days when they used to do oh
2: it. right yeah. yeah
3: so again i'm not sure about that but that that's what i had heard i don't know if it's true so anyway but again once upon a time in china one a great great film too
2: and not to go off on a tangent but there is also a really like significantly longer version of once upon a time in china 3 that uh, i saw on uh, i guess it was was it taiwanese <laughs> vhs <laughs> right. um right. yeah so uh, luckily uh, like I have a copy of that floating around, but uh, yeah, it's odd, these alternate versions that are out there.
0: Yeah, so number five uh, is one that's already been mentioned, that's the Heroic Trio. I picked the Heroic Trio not because it's like a superhero movie or not because of the actors that are in it, but because um, it's delightfully weird. It has a flying guillotine, it has Anthony Wong eating his fingers, it has the, the villain and the underworld thing is just bananas. It's a movie about a villain that steals babies. It's like really dark concept for a superhero movie, but it also has the Ching Su Tung action, the insane comedy with the, and here's the thing by the executioners, the sequel being not so great you see that it's not just the actors and the chemistry. It's that it's a great story and it's really well told. Although I don't just don't hate the sequel. It's just not as good as it should have been. And I did recently rewatch that because it took me forever to find um, a, a, a rip of it basically, or find a version of it. And, uh, but I love the heroic Trio. So let's open the floor on the heroic trio we already got joey's take on it lisa do you have uh i'm sure you love the heroic trio
1: i i'm gonna say something terrible i don't love the heroic trio mm. i know i know that's that's a real like a heretical statement but there it, it just didn't work for me somehow i love the idea of obviously three brilliant actresses playing three kick-ass superheroines I think I almost didn't want it to go as dark as it did. Um, I kind of wanted to celebrate the fact that there were three kick-ass, powerful women for the first time in a Hong Kong movie. I kind of didn't want Michelle Yeoh to be the tragic heroine. Oops, giveaway. Um, Spoiler alert. Um, Yeah, there were just, I don't know, there were things about it that just irked me that piled up after a while. I like it. I just don't love it.
0: Okay, Jeff, thoughts on the
3: horror? Well, I, I love it. I think it's great. I like the sequel as well. It's not as good, definitely, but I I like the sequel um as well. Um, a stealth yeah, I, Christmas movie. What's that? A
2: stealth Christmas movie.
3: Oh, that's right. That's right. Good point. Good point. I have to watch that. Um, why so I watched Hero Trio about six months ago. I showed it to my son, and and he he just you know was pretty amazed. And I you know when you got the uh, stop motion skeleton at the end, you know that that just that's like a uh, icing on the cake
0: you know <laughs> but yeah no, i love that i do love the movie all right joey you're number five uh oh yeah i love this one
2: uh the, the prodigal son uh getting back to samuel uh and i think this is one of my favorite samuel movies although it was really difficult really difficult decision uh between eastern condors and pedicab driver as well um but no uh I love The Prodigal Son. Um, I think it's got a really great story, uh, great characterizations. And uh, it's not just a martial arts movie about revenge, but it's about personal growth. Uh, Lam Ching-Ying has an amazing role in it, one of my favorite performances from him. Uh, Sam is delightful when he finally comes into the movie. The choreography is amazing. So the Prodigal Son is actually one that I
0: saw on Black Belt Theater on in Channel Four, uh, and which is weird because it must have been a new release because they were done with Black Belt Theater by the time by like '85. So, but yes, I do remember seeing it on Black Belt Theater. So the floor's
3: open, Prodigal Son. Great movie. Um, I think it's fantastic. Another also one of Samo's best. One thing I want to point out is the, the interesting career and it's really not known. And I don't know that much about him aside from what he's work he's done, but the villain of the film, Frankie Chan is really one of the more unique talents in Hong Kong movies, because not only is he an actor and a director, um, but he's also a composer and he composed or co-composed like the music for Chunky Express and Ashes of Time. It's very odd. And I've never, and he's also, uh, a very, um, close, uh, uh, filmmaking companion to Jackie Chan I know he essentially co-directed Armor of God 2 and Worked on a lot of his other films um, He's a very interesting character but he He's as a villain in Prodigal Son he's fantastic so Again one of those multi-talented uh, people Over there
0: Alright so I have to apologize there's a lot of Dog activity here <laughs> in the room Right now so for everyone no. I'm trying to mute when I'm not talking um, Jeff your next pick number
3: five okay well it is i just mentioned it it is chunking express and um i don't know this is is this is it higher on anyone's list
0: no no we're gonna open okay okay
3: yes um very hard i am a great lover of one car why um like joey it's a tough call because um days of being wild and this are very close together i kind of went with this just because i did see i had seen days of what being wild on video first but this was the first one I saw theatrically. Um, it was very interesting because *Chungking Express and Ashes of Time opened, at, I saw at the Garfield Theater in Alhambra here, and they opened like three weeks apart. Um, and what was interesting with both of them, they cleared out the theaters pretty, I'd say a third of the theater cleared out of the audience, cleared out by the t- before the movie was over. The local audiences didn't really care for these two films at all. Um, chunking express um though it's thing it just i liked it when i first saw it i actually went back and saw it again and then it stayed with me and then maybe for the reasons that you might d- disagree with you know california dreaming was stuck in my head um absolutely adore you know fei wong love Bridget. love bridget in that outfit you know um it just uh, that that time in my life it
0: really s- struck me as something unique and then yeah, it being really able to... i gotta be honest it I, like Is that I'm one of the people that was driven nuts by the use of California Dream and Empire. Oh, okay. And I'm with you. I hear you. No problem. Um <laughs> but um uh it
3: just um it just it really stuck with me and then I just grew it's a movie I grew to love and watch many, many times. Um um and I actually became uh because of Faye Wong in the movie and her her version, her cover version of uh, "Dreams," the cranberry song, it actually convinced me to go next door and buy a Fei Wong CD. Um, like one of the probably the second time I'd seen the film, so she's my favorite of, of Chinese singers. I absolutely adore her. Um, so it's just one of those movies that everything you know fires in all cylinders. It's quirky. It's unique. It's you know it's a time capsule of Hong Kong during that time. Um, it. Uh, it's just it, again for the, again there was really nothing else like it at that time, um, so maybe that's why the local audience didn't like it. Uh, but uh, it's just something that really sticks with me and a movie I, lo- I, I do adore.
0: I'm not against the movie. I like no, it. I just um, I don't like the Beach Boys to begin with, and uh, California Dreaming like just got super irritating for me.
3: Oh, back you mean Mama's Mama's and the
0: Papas? You mean right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sorry, you're right. Okay. I that is yeah. I see I don't know anything. No, no see, yeah, no, no worries. So uh let's open the floor um knowing that we will have a one car selection next. So um Joey, uh let's go to you first because we have a great transition with Lisa after after you.
2: Uh, uh oh, on, on Chunking Express. Well I I kind of already said something anyway, but I would add that uh Jeff's comment about local audience, the Hong Kong audience, not really (laughs) vibing off on car wise movies. Uh, Just a funny anecdote I saw in the mood for love in Hong Kong, not uh, unfortunately in our decades, but um, and there was a lot of uh, laughter in the audience throughout the movie, if you could imagine that. And uh, when the smash to black happened at the end, there was a a burst of uproarious laughter from the back of the theater. Uh, So that was a, a unique way to see that movie. Which I love, but apparently this audience did not love it. Well, and I'll just
3: add one tiny little anecdote too. Um, the owner of the Garfield Theater she would com- she complained for months afterwards about how much money she lost on Ashes of Time and Chunking Express because they she paid a lot of money to get them brought over
0: and they just did not do well. Unfortunate. Uh, Lisa, your thoughts on Chunking Express?
1: I'm sorry, I'm still trying to. Scrape my jaw off the floor after hearing about Hong Kong audiences laughing through In the Mood for Love, which is like the least <laughs> funniest movie of all time. Um, I I like King Express, but truthfully, it ranks like four or five down on the Long Car Wai filmography for me. But your number four. Indeed. My number four is Days of Being Wild, which we have talked about a few peripherally, before this. Um, I absolutely love Days of Being Wild. it, it is easily the Wong Car Wai movie I watch the most. And I do watch it fairly often. I love the performances in it. I love the image of 60s Hong Kong in it. Um, I love Christopher Doyle's photography in it. Um, I the whole movie for me is worth it for the scene of of Leslie Chung's hustler performing, practicing the samba alone in his room, mm-hmm. um, trying to get it right. Um, Also just the, the, the opening scene with Maggie Chung is incredible. Her performance is incredible um, where he's telling her that from this moment on, they're going to be friends and you see this sort of washed out desperation in her face without her even saying a word. It's just, it's a a film of amazing performances for me.
0: Yeah. And for me, I like Days of Being Wild, uh, particularly the Maggie Chung performance like really stuck with me because I knew her from Heroic Trio, and this was like the first like serious role I saw her in. So like I remember that hitting me really hard because I was already a fan of the Heroic Trio. So I, I, I yeah, I love Days of Being Wild. I think I, I think it's it's one of one car wise best, and and um, big fan. Open the floor here.
2: Uh, Anyone
0: else want to say anything on that one?
2: just gonna say like i like i said earlier it was very very tough choice uh because i think uh days in being wild may be his richest movie dramatically uh and uh i love it Uh, i remember seeing it in the theater of austin one of those movies just sit there silently as the credits roll because you've been so immersed in it uh yeah it's a masterpiece yeah
3: i i agree with that um and um with the one thing that's cool and joy and i were talking about this recently is that they're the theatrical version is different has different beginning and ending than the than the version that's been out on video and the cool thing i saw on the, the upcoming criterion disc it's going to have a supplement of those the different uh opening and ending credits i don't think it really changes much in the movie but it does have a little bit different mood i remember from the beginning sequence so that's kind of cool at least that's that's been discovered
0: oh that sounds great um yeah. cool all right any last thoughts on days of being wild or should i do my number four Okay, so my number four is a movie that I can literally watch a thousand times in a a weird way, even though I don't think it's the best of this list. That's why it's down number four. It's probably my favorite. It's my favorite martial arts movie of all time. And that's Ching Su Tung's debut movie, Duel to the Death. Uh, Duel to the Death is a movie that I literally could just watch anytime. It is completely bananas. Martial arts movie. It's got the nationalism, the Chinese versus Japan. It's got the big martial arts competition. It has giant ninjas. It has all kinds of weird. It has legless warriors. It has all kinds of things that just make it, to me, phenomenal. And it's sh- it's the first showcase of Ching Tung showing that he is a weird filmmaker and likes to do weird things. Uh, the fact that it came out the same year as a lot of the last gasp of the Shaw brothers, Kung Fu movies, the five element ninjas the same year, same year. But, um, really, to me, it's, it's a martial arts classic. That's kind of unparalleled. Um, I just love it. And I can watch it a thousand times. So, um, I'm going to open the floor Duel to the death who wants to, does anyone have anything else they want to add to that?
3: I, I love Duel to the death too. I think it's fantastic. I absolutely love it. Um, I think you're right, it's interesting to compare um, um, that. That was the period where the Shaw films were going into decline, and you know the production was on, on the verge of being shut down. And yet these, you know, this, you know, the, in this case, Golden Harvest, but not just Golden Harvest. The other filmmakers, you know, something new was coming along in '82. He had *Aces Go Places*, which really, you know, shook things up in Hong Kong. Um, but um, it's, I think, it's a way of bringing, you know, *Dual to the Death* brings a new, a new feel a new um, approach to these kind of films that, you know, you could argue that story-wise could have been a Shaw Brothers movie, but the approach to it and the the, um, the execution is completely different. Something I'm sure for audiences in 82 was, was completely new. But yeah, great, great movie.
0: It's filmed on location. It has a more epic feel. It, um, you know, the night scenes, like, are actually shot at night. <laughs> uh, <laughs> which at the time... You know, I mean later Troy Hark did a lot of that right but it really at the time it, it, it hadn't been done much so I think uh, I think it's a transitional movie in a lot of ways um, because uh, between eras uh, is is one of the things that I I love about it uh, Joey and Lisa either of you have any thoughts on Duel to the Death
1: I think you're right about it being a transitional movie yeah it's great and it's, it's one more of those that I haven't seen in a long, long time. And I desperately need to rewatch.
2: Yeah, basically.
0: I agree. I, I think I need to rewatch it too. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. And what Lisa said, basically, uh, it's been a long time since I've seen it. I remember, you know, I always thought it was amazing, but it's been quite a while and I have the DVD. So I think, yeah, I'll pop it in. Yeah. Um,
0: I think, uh, the, um, the Shaolin warrior getting defeated by the giant naked ninja lady, like <laughs> for one thing, is just insane. The fact that the the ninja becomes a giant and then turns into eight ninjas, and it's just like, the, the amount of creativity and sanity in there is, is the thing, and, and Chinsu Tang gets a bad rep because he and Troy Hart, it, you know, Hart took over a lot of his movies, and so a lot of times people like kind of poo-poo his ability as a director, but Duel to the Death, he did by himself. And, um, and to me, it's, it's his best movie in a lot of ways. Um, even though I have one higher on the list, but Lisa would not let me give all the credit to Ching Su Teng, but I'm not gonna I'm not going to count that. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, Duel to the Death. Um, if there's no other comments, uh, Joey,
2: you're number four. We'll do a Hong Kong style tonal shift here, uh, to Rouge. Um, which, uh, is just a really gorgeous, uh, haunting ghost story. Uh, all the more so for having, uh, Leslie Chung and the Anita Mui in it. Um, are no longer with us, uh, and, uh, yeah, just amazing production design, uh, beautiful uh, cinematography of the city at night, um, cameo by young uh, And it's just an amazing story with a really unique hook, ghost wanting to place an ad in the newspaper. Can't say I've seen that one before. Um, it, it's just a beautiful movie. Um, you know, it's it's really emotional, very moving. I highly recommend it if you haven't seen it. All right. Opening the floor, Rouge. Uh, I have
0: not seen it in a long time, but I remember it being great. Um, anybody else?
3: I, uh, yeah, no, I, I watched it maybe about a year ago. First time I had seen it probably in you know 20 years or so. Um, and it, it was just, it was in a way almost painful to watch because, I mean, I was a few times I was in tears um, because of, again, the loss of Leslie and Anita. It's just it's really tough to watch because of that. Um, they were so talented and so wonderful, especially for Anita. I, I, Anita's death for a celebrity death that really affected me, um, for various reasons. Um, but, um, both of them are just magnificent in it. And boy, that last shot of the movie, it's just a shot of her turning around. Oh my God. I think about it. And I get chills right now. Um, you know, I know that's not, you know what the filmmakers intended in the same way but it's impossible to look at that movie you know without the prism of the you know through the you know not, not being able to see it through the prism of the loss of the two of them but it's a beautiful it's such a beautifully done movie and emotional on its own terms yeah it's a great it's a great great film
1: yeah i i actually have not been able to watch it since we lost them because it was an intensely emotional movie to me before both of them passed way 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 too young um the idea of watching it now i just i can't do it It's a brilliant movie, though.
0: All right, uh, Jeff, you're number four, one of the greatest movie titles of all time.
3: (laughs) Okay, this one might be a little off the beaten path, but um, I I do love this. It's another one of those late Shaw Brothers movies. uh, It's Holy Flame of the Martial World. Um, I can... It's funny... I, I let a coworker of mine borrow this about 15 years ago, shortly after the celestial DVD came out. Cause you couldn't, I think there was a laser disc of it way back but I never had seen it. I had, we, uh, Joey and I have a mutual friend who did it in one of the earliest Hong Kong movie fanzines. And um, he always talked about how great it was. And yeah, he had seen it in the theater. Mm-hmm. Um, so finally, when the celestial DVD came out, I got it. And I think Joey and I watched it together. And I, afterwards I lent it to a coworker and he gave it back to me and said, that was better than star Wars. <laughs> um <laughs> it is just one of the most fun silly ridiculous just plain you sit and watch it with a goofy grin on your face um it it kind of reminds me i was thinking it's almost like you know um and you know maybe because again the shaw brothers very studio bound at the time um but it kind of feels like when i first saw chinese ghost story just things flying around and you know just you know but much more comic than chinese ghost story um it's just, you know, I can't really do it justice. It's got a great, you know, cast of Shaw Brothers, regulars. Um, um, Philip Kwok, uh, who you know, one of the five Venoms. He's uh, He has a great role in it. Uh, Max Mock, who became um, Fu in the Once Upon a Time in China series, you know, from parts two through five, I believe. He's one of the leads. Um, and then, um, what's her name? Uh, Lao Xut is one of the villains, too. You have to go deep into the Shaw Brothers, you know uh actor uh you know mill to, to understand to know them all but it's just it's just a blast it's a blast the director was this guy luchin ku whose name is also tony lou was his name um he did a lot of shaw brothers films that are great just really wacky you know colorful bizarre um if you ever heard of the bastard swordsman he did that he also did one called the lady assassin which the last eight minutes of the lady assassin are probably the last my favorite last eight minutes of any movie in history um just very kinetic director but holy flame is just something you know i'm trying to remember there's a there's a there's a an there's a zombie in the film who speaks english for no discernible reason um one of the characters gets attacked by Chinese characters who try to attack him and he has to fend them off. It's just it's just a blast. Um, and they showed it at CineFamily a few years ago and it was great to see that in the big screen. But just, you know, brings the house down. Again, another movie, it's like 85 minutes. It does what it needs to do and it ends. I just absolutely adore the movie.
0: Did he direct um, Heads for Sale? Um, uh, no, no, he doesn't go. That, that's, that's too
3: far back. No, he did. Um, I, I was just looking him up actually funny you should mention that um he did a lot of he actually did like the black dragon believe it or not back in um in the mid 70s with ron van Cleef, um which is a great trailer. joey and i are one of our favorite trailers he did like ambitious kung fu girl um another great one from late shaw is secret service of the imperial court and later on he did um he directed uh, another favorite exploitation one uh holy virgin versus the evil dead if you've ever seen that um very I mean the Shaw stuff is much better than anything than anything else he did. His Shaw stuff really kicked it up. But any movies by him from Shaw Brothers, I highly recommend. Just plain pure entertainment.
0: Yeah, this is one that um this was I believe this was a black belt theater movie for, for me. Is one that yeah. it must have just been coming under a wire, but and I remember and it was funny because uh, I found out that this movie is pretty rare, but one that I um, just recently saw was *Beach of the War Gods*, which I, n- I had mm. never seen. But it's one that uh, Quentin Tarantino has been on a mission to tell people that they need to watch this because it's more epic than people realize. Because it like gets like to brave our territory at the end. And um, but mm. he in this that recent podcast that he did on on Shaw Brothers movies. He was connecting Beach of the War Gods, which is not a Shaw movie, with uh, Holy Flame of the Martial World. So that's what made me think of those two (laughs) together. But, yeah, I don't know. Uh, But I just recently watched Beach of the War Gods for the first time. And it is a crazy epic uh, martial arts movie. That's that's nuts. (laughs) Yeah. So, um anybody else have anything on uh, Holy Flame of the Martial World besides being um, having that great title, which is just a truly great title? <laughs> um, it's wackier than Shaw Brothers movies generally get. I you will know, say that.
2: Yeah. I always learn something new from Jeff, <laughs> the Black Dragon thing. I mean, wow. How did I not know that? Um, but yeah, Jeff described that movie as a blast. <laughs> I just like blasted into my eyeballs. <laughs> you know that was unbelievable watching that with you Jeff I-, I could not believe I hadn't seen that uh before and it's amazing all right so number
0: three um Lisa I don't think I know this one.
1: Oh, my my list may have been revised again um okay. sorry because my my current number three is Peking opera blues which obviously every hong kong movie fan in the world knows
0: okay now that we do have higher uh
1: okay yeah
0: but i believe yeah um jeff also has that at three so why don't we just do you guys together right now for Peking opera blues <laughs> like which might mess up. Well, lisa guys. goes first lisa goes first
1: <laughs> um I, weirdly enough, in light of heroic trio, I'm going to say that I really love the three women at the heart of Peking Opera Blues. Um, to me, they got the relationships and, the, and so forth right. Um, obviously, you have Brigitte Lin right at the center, is in this amazing performance that's weirdly androgynous but works nonetheless in terms of being sexy and being. I mean, she's just awesome in it. But so are Sally Ye and Sherry Chung as the other two women in it I just love the the scenes of them like dancing in snow and so forth it's just gorgeous um it's Troy Hawk, certainly one of his premier films um Kenneth Chang is great as the villain it's just there's there's nothing not to love about Peking Opera Blues and Joey you
0: have to wait to talk about Peking Opera Blues Jeff uh why did you have it as number three on your list
3: well, th- this is always, you know, this could have either been two or three um, on my list, no question. York could have been one. My top three are always switching around. Um, it's just, you know, it's 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 like something you would have found in the golden age of Hollywood. It's part screwball comedy, part action movie, part drama. It's just got everything you could want in a movie. As a as someone who loves movies, it's, oh, um, uh, you know, um, again, you just watchable over and over. And there's so many little moments, like the um, the uh, the gag when they're all hiding in the bedroom you know that's a great little scene um and the the, even the gag of the password what is it Peking duck tastes good if if anyone who's seen it will remember that (laughs) moment um and um i i uh you know and the three the three actresses you know it's so sad that all three of them you know have been you know even though they're all in their you know 50s or 60s now they've been retired for jeez you know over 25 years and it's just you know i know they worked their butts off you know for for years and years before that but i miss them all and oh, god we wish we'd see them again um it's just and i believe is in this speaking of ching su Tung, he did the action for the film if i'm not mistaken right isn't it ching su Tung action
1: i think uh, so yeah. yeah yeah
3: um oh and a shout out to um another great title of the villain of a movie um in the subtitles the ticketing officer um, uh, played by, I gotta mention him, Ku Fung, who is a Shaw Brothers mainstay, probably been in more Shaw Brothers films than any actor in history, um, and who's still with us. He just turned 90 this year. Um, but he's fantastic, too. You know, great, great villain, um, um, especially when he's being held hostage, you know, and he acts all tough and then he becomes a sniveling baby when he's being held hostage and stuff. Uh, you know, again, I can talk about this movie, and I'm sure all of us could talk about it for, for you know for hours. It's 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 a masterpiece, no doubt about it.
0: Well, and I have an interesting relationship with it, if my memory serves me correct, because when I was first getting into Hong Kong movies, I didn't think it sounded that great. So I kind of avoided it. And then before I met one Lisa Morton, I read her book on Troy Hark. And I believe that was what convinced me that I needed to see Peking upper blues. Um, if my memory serves me correct, it was either reading her book or talking to her about it, but I know Lisa was involved in getting me to, to watch Peking Opera Blues. <laughs> um, uh, and of course, I love it. It's it's incredible. It's it's such a strange and one-of-a-kind movie. It's like nothing else. Um, there is no movie like Peking Opera Blues. Um, that's one of the things that you- I is most cool about it.
3: So. yeah you're right when you see it on on paper it doesn't seem like anything I, someone I told like about a year ago a Facebook friend said you know you never thought it sounded interesting but it doesn't do it justice you have to see it you yeah. know to understand how brilliant it is Well, um, Hark we has a, one of the great
0: Troy Hark has a couple of those because like on paper if you see Better Tomorrow 3 and you're like it's a Better Tomorrow sequel but John Woo's not directing it and you yeah. know so a lot of people like kind of dismiss that, but better tomorrow three is incredible and so underrated. And uh, on paper, a lot of times people just dismiss it and, and don't, don't give it a shot because they think it's, it's not a real better tomorrow sequel, which is bullshit. Um, and, mm-hmm. and and it is a great movie. Um, so, and I I think I always think of better tomorrow three and Peking opera blues is these Troy Hart movies that people kind of dismiss or write off. Um, to their own peril, because like they are, uh, they're truly some of the uh, uh, most unique ones that he's done. You know, uh, um, but if I,
3: if I, oh sorry, if I can add just one more
0: thing, one ahead. of the
3: greatest, one of the greatest you know, tragedies is the fact that okay, not only has it never had a home video release in the United States, that's a tragedy. But, you know, who knows what Fortune Star has been doing with it now. It's has been out of print. There was an, you know, I have the the most recent DVD was pretty decent. Um, but then they put out a Blu-ray, which was absolutely horrendous. They remixed it to 7.1 sound and it is, it is unwatchable what they did to it. And it's, it's a, it's a fake, it's an up convert too. So that movie, you know, needs reappraisal and then hopefully, you know, also get the Get the opening and closing titles back onto the film, which are not on any home video version except for VHS, I believe, and Laserdisc. But um, Lisa, I bet you hope that someday they can find that footage from the trailer and from the, open, the end credits that's been missing.
1: I would also add that there's a there's a movie that I almost feel like is the prequel to Peking Opera Blues in some ways, which is Shanghai Blues. And that movie is like now impossible to find. Yeah. Um. And it's also a masterpiece, although a completely different kind of movie. It's a, a much more down to earth, non-action kind of movie, but it is brilliant and it is gone. I mean, yeah. the, so I would love to see great releases of both. Definitely. They should do the Choi Hawk blues double feature. Now you're talking. I
2: throw in a couple of quick things. I love the theme song for a better tomorrow three <laughs> theme song and Shanghai blues is a masterpiece. <laughs> we need it on, uh, on some, on Blu-ray or streaming or something, please. And, uh, also the Shanghai blues has one of my favorite, uh, romantic uh, of the romantic genre tropes of running to, catch your love before they get it <laughs> through your fingers. I think that's one of my favorite ones in history, uh, and Autumn's Tale also has a great one.
3: I about I throw
2: that out there? Yeah. All right, I'm going to go short
0: on my number three, because we've already talked about Iron Monkey a little bit, and that is my number three. But I def- definitely want to talk about the fact that I think it is a great introduction to Hong Kong movies. It's it's a great primer. But the, re- the U.S. release um, and I think Quentin Tarantino has done a lot of amazing things for Hong Kong cinema. He has popularized it. He's done a lot of great stuff, but one thing I will never forgive him for is not putting his fucking foot down for the Wong Fei Hung theme song in the uh, American release of Iron Monkey. I may have been alone sitting in a theater in Bloomington, Indiana, watching it, but wanting to stand up and yell bullshit when they put a new song over The first fight scene for young Wong Fei-Hung and Iron Monkey, because most people don't realize that Iron Monkey is a prequel, a young Indiana Jones for the Wong Fei-Hung. And you certainly wouldn't know it when you see the American release because they took the fucking theme song away. And that, to this day, drives me absolutely bonkers, which I already yelled about in the Jet Li episode. So I will stop ranting about that, but I will just say that Iron Monkey is um, a kung fu movie masterpiece. You should try to see the original cut of it that re- that keeps the theme song um i do like that it got remastered and everything and it looked great and got like some kind of cheesy knockoff soundtrack for crouching tiger but uh if you can see the original and see it the way it was meant to be i think it's great um and it's Yoon and ping's like probably one of his best fight coordinations and that's really saying something um and i uh, and it's amazing that he made it the same year as tai chi master he made it the same freaking year as tai chi master which is just bonkers and wing chen almost right around the corner <laughs> that's right yeah he was just uh in in the freaking zone and he also did the fight coordination for fist of legend right around the same time too yeah, amazing which he didn't direct but um uh, Gordon Chan, your Beast Cops director Lisa did. Uh, yeah, Seven. yeah. And, um, so yeah, Iron Monkey. Um, uh, anybody? I'm gonna open the floor. Anybody have anything else they want to say about Iron Monkey? I know I I laid down a gauntlet there.
3: No, <laughs> uh, it's just it's again, it's a great movie, and it's just I think you know that was for me, you know, watching you know, be introduced to Donnie around that time too. You know, I think he really went off, you know, after he broke with Yun Mo Ping, he kind of made all these movies where he tried to be a badass over and over. And I don't think that worked. And it wasn't until Yip Man. I do. They, or, okay, well, there you go. With exceptions, I'm sure. Um, you know, I'm thinking of like Satan Returns and stuff like that. That didn't really do it for me. Um, but, um, but then I was so great to see him come back with Yip Man when he played a sympathetic and a humble character like that. And so it's great to see him do that. You know, he can still he can still be a nice guy and kick ass, which is nice. He's done that though. But I think Iron Monkey, he's just so damn charismatic in it. And also one of the best noodle preparation scenes in history. I still don't know how they did that. You know, when he's slicing the noodles off into the pan. You know, again, more people so many people in these movies like Yimou Ping who have much more talent than I ever had.
0: Okay, so just so people remember, we're not skipping Jeff. He had Peking Opera Blues as number three. So our last number three is Joey, a movie we've already, Lisa already mentioned and already brought up, but you're number three. Uh,
2: Swordsman 2. I was kind of surprised to see me put it here, but it it just slotted in here. Like I said, the order is kind of arbitrary, but uh, I remember uh, the first time I saw this movie theatrically, it was showing again the the that's how they did these in dallas they would show them once at 10 and another show at midnight and i just walked out walked right back in watched the next show i mean it's just amazing uh and uh i don't know how this movie stacks up representation wise in 2020 but uh agree that uh bridget lynn's character in this movie is one of the greatest characters (laughs) in <laughs> movie history and uh, it's a very strange feeling to watch a movie like this and go from your rooting interest moves <laughs> over to the villain almost completely by the end of the movie um yeah uh the, just an amazing performance and uh and an amazing movie
0: uh yeah swordsman 2 i feel is uh truly one of those gently like, made more weird movies than people realize you know, the Kung Fu Cult Master and and, uh, New Legend of Shaolin, but, and I know this isn't a Jet Li movie, per se. Uh, He's just kind of in it, (laughs) but it is not a good adaptation of the novel, let me just say that. (laughs) Um, And, uh, but it uh, is a part, a middle part of a trilogy. It's really amazing. I was surprised to see that Lisa had this on her list and not um, Swordsman 3 The East is Red, because um uh she is single-handedly the reason why i went back and re-watched uh, swordsman three many years ago um and tried to watch it like with a very critical eye so but i think the whole series is is really good considering the rocky things going on with the director situation with it so um starting with the first one there was a rocky situation i think the third one's the only one that doesn't have a rocky situation (laughs) um but uh anybody else uh floors open swordsman 2 swordsman 2 great movie that's what i can
3: say (laughs) yeah and and it just uh they just did a remaster on blu-ray both swordsman 2 and east is red they're hong kong blu-rays i don't know if lisa if you knew that oh i didn't no, no, they did actual true I, I don't have them, but there are true um HD mass a lot, you know, a lot of the stuff that came out on Blu-ray like ten years ago, especially the Fortune Star stuff, they're all up converts of standard def transfers. Right. Uh, this company, I can't remember which one is doing Swordsman 2 and East is red, but they actually do real actual hd transfers and i have a couple other films that the company put out and they look terrific so
1: oh fantastic um,
3: DM me if you want i'll tell you where you can get them
1: (laughs) yeah great um
0: do you know the story with the king who thing what happened with king who on the first one because it was supposed to be his big return to filmmaking right or was troy hark like kind of doing him a favor because he was i don't know what what do you know the story on that
3: like, yeah,
1: I'm I i I'm trying to remember what it was. It's been so long since I have looked into that one. But yeah, it was it was definitely weird. The, the first one's kind of a mess to me. Um, and by the way, if anyone here has not seen all three of these, you do not need to see the first one to see Swordsman 2 and Swordsman 3. East is red. They have nothing to do with Swordsman, which is really strange. I... Yeah, um, oddly enough, I saw these three movies in reverse order. I saw East is Red first, and I had no idea. I saw it in a the theater. It was not called Swordsman 3. It was only called the East is Red, and I had read a rave review of it in a paper, and I had no idea what was happening, and it didn't matter. Um, it, it's gorgeous. Yeah, East is Red is, is absolutely gorgeous. Um, and then I sought out, of course, Swordsman 2, and then eventually found It was hard to find the first Swordsman at the time this was like the the late 90s um like the star wars holiday special of Heart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and uh, i was, was actually behind. shocked it i was shocked at how different swordsman one is from the other two so i
0: am I well, um, my understanding was that because king who was kind of like the kurosawa of hong kong in the 60s and yeah and, yeah and valiant ones Touches of Zen, Come Drink With Me, just fantastic movies. But he hadn't really... Well, he did Legend of the Mountain around that time, though, but he I hadn't done a movie, right? But anyways, I loved... Yeah, too, yeah. so I, when I heard that he had made a movie with Troy Hark, I was like, oh, no, i got to see this. And then when I saw it, I was like, well, okay. Right, right. Yeah, I don't think things were going well at the studio that two months. Well,
3: <laughs> I am... I can add, again, now now Lisa has a much deeper, you know, I'm sure you've talked with Troy Harg about this before, but I can add something from what I understood um, is that like there's almost, King Who, whatever, he only shot it for a few days and then his health prevented it, and there's only like a few shots in the movie that King Who even shot, that that did, and all those other acting directors took over. Um, I think it was a health issue. I wrote wrote a, um, it kills me because I... I, you know, King Hu lived in Pasadena for the last like 20 years of his life. Um, and I bumped into him uh, once at uh, an event, um, a Hong Kong like cultural event at Paramount
0: Studios. Okay, and also, I was like, I thought maybe you bumped into him at Whole Foods or something. No,
3: no, well, but, but the uh, second time, they had UCLA had a screening of Dragon Inn in like 1996, and he just showed up. He wasn't even announced. I sat down, I got there early. And I turn around and he's behind me. And so I started talking to him and I'm like, oh, I'd love to interview you for giant robot. And he said, well, yeah, but I'm going to Taiwan. Um, call me early next year when I get back. And unfortunately he died in Taiwan. So I would have loved to have gotten that information. But again, I, you know, I actually like swordsman swordsman is the second Hong Kong movie I ever saw in my life. Um, and it's not on the level of swordsman too. I'm not a huge fan of East is red Aside, You know, Bridget's awesome. And Joey's awesome. But um, I think I watched rewatch Swordsman. The, no, no, no. <laughs> the first Swordsman. I rewatched it with my son maybe two years ago, and it's. I mean, it's it's nuts. It's crazy, um, but it's it's pretty good. I mean, you know, um, the only the only actors in both films is what Fenny Yoon is the only actress who's in cast member who's in both one and two. Um, great theme song
2: carries over at least
3: yeah that's true the theme song so I think swordsman two is worth a shot but two swordsman the first one is worth a shot but the second one is
2: is is just brilliant yeah yeah
0: uh all the night shoots how fast all the wire foo is yeah uh, the, the the surreal night look of of swordsman two um that's one I re-watched recently so um I have it fresh in my brain um nice. but uh Lisa you're number two.
1: I just realized that Maggie Chung stars in three of my top four, um, which is a pretty good indication of the fact that she's my all-time favorite actress. Um, And my number two is what is my personal favorite of her performances center stage. It's another Stanley Kwan movie. We talked earlier about him with Rouge. He's a great, great filmmaker. Center stage is a biopic actually of a silent film actress named Ruin Ling Yu. Um, And Maggie Chung is just phenomenal in this. Um, She just fills the screen with this incredibly magnetic grace and tragedy. And um, her denouement in this movie, I I won't give it away because people should go out and see Center Stage, is one of the most heart-wrenching things i've ever seen um she's just incredible in it and it's it's great too because you also get to learn a little about the history of hong kong cinema you get to find out a little bit about what was going on with this amazing cinema in the silent film period and into the early 30s and um so it's well oh my god yes there you go jeff is holding up the dvd of center stage um so you get to uh uh, learn a little from this movie as well as just experience this incredible performance. Uh, I only saw this movie because uh you and
0: I had a discussion many many years ago on Facebook about Maggie Chung, and you told me I had to see it, and I did and uh, yeah it's a very powerful movie um, yeah, yeah, love it. so open the floor. anybody else anything on the center stage?
3: Um, yeah I'm a- a-
2: that uh, dVd that's. Have you seen it, Joey? I have, but not since release. And, yeah. and all this talk about it, and I got to re- revisit it right now. So yeah. next time, when all this yeah. is over, <laughs> I'm
3: a I'm a I'm a big fan of the movie too. And what's interesting is that you know it's really unconventional. They actually have you know interviews with the actors, you know, talking about their performances during the film. And then Stanley Kwan, I think, is actually doing the interviewing. If I'm not mistaken, he's the director,
2: mm-hmm.
3: right? Um, and the thing is, this was so hard. I, I remember they played this at the New Art, like in late 92, shortly after it came out. And I saw it and it was the full uncut version. Um, it's 154 minutes. Now I remember the laser disc was one disc, which means it was probably either, obviously cut, it probably was time compressed as well, which is odd because usually if Hong Kong dis- Laserdisc makers had an excuse to put movies on two discs, they would jump at the chance. Remember Heroic Trio was on four sides, you remember that for an (laughs) 89 minute movie it's on four sides but anyway and then it came out on it was hard to find the uncut version i remember finding like an 145 minute version on vhs and then when the first dvd came out that was short but this dvd that i'm holding it's the it's the um, fortune star remastered version probably from like a dozen years ago it's the full uncut version and you know the rest of the cast is great you know you got tony Tony lung Kar-fai is in it. Karina Lau is in it. Cecilia Yip, Lawrence Ng, Y.Z. Lee. It's a great cast. Yeah, it's yeah. great. And, you know, for someone who doesn't know, you know, when I first saw us, knew nothing about, you know, silent era Chinese cinema. It's pretty, it's pretty eye-opening. Yeah,
0: yeah I, literally, that's all I know. Uh, sorry, that's literally all I know about silent era. <laughs> <laughs> Chinese cinema and was from this movie, but, and that's one of the things that I thought was, you know, really great about it. I really appreciated that. So, um, anything else on center stage, Joey? No, other than I clearly need to
2: revisit again as soon as possible.
0: (laughs) All right. My number two is one we've already talked about. Uh, and obviously my list is Ching Sutong heavy. Uh, but, uh, my number two is Chinese ghost story. Um, I absolutely love Chinese Ghost Story. Um, when I said it's Ching Su Tung heavy, yes, I know Lisa choi Hard probably is <laughs> of it. Um, but uh, I think Ching Su Tung is there too, um, for sure. They had a partnership over many, many years, so I'm sure they were both behind the camera a lot. Um, but Chinese Ghost Story is one of those movies I can watch whenever um, I found the theme song on Spotify the other day and literally almost did a happy dance because I found it. Um, unfortunately, Spotify does not have the Dao- the Taoist priest rapping um, from the movie, which is like truly one of the best things about it. That's Isn't on YouTube. Crazy <laughs> and bonkers. Uh, the fact that it has a, a, a Taoist rap that it, um, the ghost elements Um, it has roots in the, in, um, Tales from a Chinese Studio, which is, you know, the roots of Chinese weird fiction, um, probably the oldest collection of bizarro fiction, um, in Eastern, in the Eastern world. Um, but, uh, I'm not sure about that after the interview that I did today, uh, for the other podcast, but, um, Chinese ghost story is incredible. Um, and, uh, You know, I just, uh, I can't say enough about this movie. I love the look of it, the giant tongue, the fact that it's basically like a a Hong Kong version of the evil dead in in a weird way. Um, Like, it's just, I could watch it a bazillion times. There's there's like probably 30 or 40 references to Chinese ghost story in my novel, Hunting the Moon Tribe, for good reason, um, if you look hard enough to find it. Um, And uh, my... (laughs) My wife literally just wrote all other is shit on a, a, on a uh, post-it note. <laughs> um, so she does not like um, kung fu movies, but has seen Chinese ghost story and liked it. So that tells you something about it. But yeah, that's from the song. Yeah, OK. Um, anyways, uh, Chinese ghost story, um, opening the floor.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting that you brought up strange tales from a Chinese studio because um, Chinese ghost stories actually based on like two stories from that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And in the original book, she is a fox spirit. Um, She's not a ghost. And but I think that was a really good, smart move for the filmmakers. And it also paved the way for the sequel i like the sequel very much too um and where they went even more in sort of the ghost direction
0: i will say too chinese ghost story is one of the first hong kong movies that really caught my interest that i was seeking out and trying to find because it was covered in fangoria like fangoria actually did an article after chinese ghost story 2 came out um and about the two movies and like for years before I was able to find them. I had uh, written down in notebooks, Chinese ghost story, and I'd pulled out the pages from Fangoria to try and find it for for years. So, um, and I'll never forget that because it was always something that I was like, oh my God, this sounds amazing. I want to see it. This sounds like Black Belt Theater and Sammy Cherry combined. That's the stuff that I grew up on. And of course, eventually that's something I wanted to do. But so I, I love that about it. Uh Jeff or Joey, uh any thoughts on Chinese Ghost Story?
2: Um, I love it so much I bought the Laserdisc for a hundred dollars back in the day. <laughs> 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 in my first trip to LA. Yeah, no. Was, yeah, yeah. That's an amazing movie. And um I'm just thinking coming back up is remembering that iconic scene where Lily Chung was hiding in the in the tub. That's just yeah. what a great, oh, movie. Yeah. What a great yeah. movie yeah and the sequels are
0: both great um i don't even mind the 2011 remake it's not nearly as good as 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 the 80s original but like um but i just uh any ethereal like hong kong like ghost story thing even if they're bad i'm gonna watch it right and then um but definitely i think that that trilogy is, is is amazing and um and funny and weird and great like yeah um Chinese ghost story right.
3: um I'll add a couple just quick things um if and this is really hard to find so but I don't know if, uh it's fun it's interesting to go back and watch the Shaw Brothers version of the same story I don't know if has seen The Enchanting Shadow from 1960 um again I have the DVD of it it's way out of print but it's pretty fascinating um, to watch it. It's a much more sedate version of the story, but a lot of similarities. The the Chinese title is exactly the same. Um, So um, that's kind of fun to to watch. And I actually went back into the newspaper archives, newspapers.com, and found out that it showed at the New Beverly when the New Beverly was called a different theater. It was showed there in like 1966, which is interesting. And um, anyway, and also I just want to give a shout out. Ching Su Tung, you know, he is, you know, I think he's, you know, a great director on his own too, you know, again, with all the, you know, the, you know, who knows who directed what and who did more, one or more, but, you know, Ching Siu Tung was raised in the film industry. His father was a huge Shaw Brothers director and directed, you know, and, and uh, the 14 Amazons is a classic from the seventies. Um, and I think his father's still alive. I think he's like 96 years old. Um but um, Ching Su is a really, you know, singular talent, I think, too. You know, he, he's great, you know, with and without Troy Hark. I think he's a really talented guy. But, yeah, there's no doubt when you get the two of them together, man, there's magic to be had.
1: <laughs> yes. And I'll, It's interesting, too. I, I will mention I also like the Troy Hawk 19. 19- Ninety-seven animated version which yeah, oh yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. A great one yeah that's
2: great yeah
0: yeah yeah it's good too um and I, I recently i don't remember why i was searching twitter to see if there were any mentions of ching su tong and um and i found this picture of him directing michelle yo on the set of butterfly sword and then i i had a moment of like um like oh my god i didn't list butterfly sword uh <laughs> anywhere uh which is a great movie too with Donnie Yen and Michelle Yeoh but uh, the picture was, it was it was great because um he was in the picture they were both doing the same move together right you could see that like um they were matching each other and um and i found somewhere i found a um uh, also that night i found an interview with one of the actors from Duel to the Death, talking about working with Ching Su Tung, and they said that um, every action that a character does in a Ching Su Tung action scene, he has done it first (laughs) (laughs) off-camera. And and that's just, that blew me away. So, uh, Joey, your number two is a number one for both Jeff and I, so I'm kind of spoiling our number ones, but uh, uh, Joey, your number two is... Killer,
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, which as Lisa said, uh, everybody knows the killer, we've all seen it. Well, and that was another one where uh, I saw it, uh, it was just completely blown away. Walked out of the theater, bought a ticket to the next show, went in and watched it again. Uh, yeah, a mind blower of a movie, a life changer, right? And um, yeah, I'll
0: Jeff and I will talk about it in the next round because that's our number one, but um. Jeff, your number
3: two is? I have to go with the Jackie Chan. Yeah, I love Jackie. You know, adore him. Um, His films from this era are just great. Um, And it was a tough call, as I said, between Drug and Master 2, Armor of God 2, which I I love as well. Um, But I'm going to stick with Project A Part 2. That, I think, is his masterpiece. I absolutely adore it. I think it's the perfect it's you know it works on so many levels it works on an action level works on a comedy level works on a story level works on a character level um you know i mean just to jump to the comedy but there's that whole sequence in the middle of the film where you have like five different groups of people trying to hide from each other in a a home i don't know if everybody remembers that that scene is that's worthy of like you know the greatest of blake edwards you know slapstick sequence that everything works just perfectly. And then you have, you know, you have so many great um, action sequences. They in the last 20 minutes, you know, you have the, you know, Jackie about to get pulverized by the, by that thing, you know, smashing him down. You have him running across the rooftops, you know, you know, saving Maggie Chung from falling off the roof, um, you know, climbing up the, the thing, getting caught in that feather thing where he's flipping around um, the whole fight at the beginning with uh, Michael Chan, you know, when they destroy that tea house. And then the whole, and even they do that. I, I'm saying this wrong Trump Loy, you know, where you have the people who merge into the paintings. Is that how you say Trump Loy? He had that gag where he does that. I mean, it's just amazing. Um, the handcuffs. There, The what? The handcuffs. Oh my God, the handcuff sequence. I show that to everybody, you know, again. Um, and when, yeah, when he pulls the tablecloth off of the uh, table it keeps the all the silverware intact um, yeah it, it just i don't almost don't know where to begin i just i love this movie so much you know it's endlessly rewatchable you just sit there in every moment i mean this is it that's on the level of like a buster keaton masterpiece um, you just sit there and just awe and wonder and joy watching it I, I think
0: that's his his best film all right opening the floor anybody else
1: on project a part it's pretty great and and yeah i the buster keaton comparison is the one that i came up with on that as well
2: well back to david's comments about painful stunts that make you just fear for the actor involved in the scene there's a a bit with a guy flipping over a railing and landing on a vase on his back uh that i've never forgotten awful awful. exciting and horrifying (laughs) (laughs)
0: right um yeah that that one's pretty Ah. intense. and i love the first i love the first project day but um yeah but i
3: like two a little bit better
0: all right so speaking of maggie chung um now when i started putting this podcast together i already knew what lisa's number one was gonna be (laughs) Um, but uh for the rest of the world lisa tell them what your number one hong kong movie of the 80s and 90s is
1: yeah, this is this was my number one was easy. There the rest of them could be juggled into any order and it would work fine with me. But I'm absolutely obsessed with Choi Hawk's Green Snake. I have been ever since I first saw it. Um there's a funny story about how I first saw Green Snake, which I think I recount in the book, but I went to a um, Santa Monica theater to see a double feature and the movies that this programmer had inexplicably paired were Green Snake and Naked Killer. <laughs> um so naked killer was first and i sat through naked killer and i didn't care much for it and i thought oh god is the second one going to be more of this and green snake came on and i was like swooning within five minutes and the rest of the audience was gone they made it through about five minutes of green snake because they wanted naked killer again um and uh, green snake just absolutely like i said from that moment on i was obsessed with choy hawk I was obsessed with Green Snake. It's the most swooningly beautiful movie I've ever seen. Um, his use of color in it is incredible. His use of it. We talked about it at length because it was my favorite movie when I interviewed him. And uh, he talked about how many filters he used on the cinematography. He just went nuts with the filters, but it, it creates this intensely saturated movie where you can just fall into the colors. Maggie Chung is incredible in it as Green Snake. Um, Joy Wang is as White Snake, the sort of older sister. I love its take on seasons. I love its take on these two sisters. I love its take on folklore and mythology. Um, To me, obviously, the the movie is not perfect. I will totally freely admit that it's got some serious flaws to me it's biggest flaws the casting of the young scholar who both of the women fall in love with in my imaginary version of green snake that part's played by leslie chung and it's the world's most perfect movie um so yeah that's that's my take on green snake and it like i said it's completely personal choice i know many people don't even like this movie but i absolutely adore it
0: yeah it was a tough watch for me the first time um because you know it's much like uh, legend of zoo like for example it's like the first time i watched it i'm like i have no clue what's happening here i'm just trying to follow it and i admit that uh, but because it's troy hark i give the movies more viewings and usually they end up making sense to me um but for me green snake the first time i watched it i was like and literally the second time I watched it was like, all right, what's Lisa seeing in this, in this movie. And, and the more I watched it, I definitely, I see like your are the seasonal aspect and some of the like kind of um, very subtle things that he's doing with the imagery in the movie is, is very powerful. And I wouldn't put it on my list as, uh, for me personally, but I do think it's a good film. So opening the floor, Green Snake.
3: Um. I'll add, um, it's interesting you mentioned the filters, because I believe, isn't it like the, the film, the and I, I I love the movie, too. I think it's a great movie, too. Um, the filters, like, as you go down the screen, the filters look a little different, isn't it? It's kind of like a layered thing.
1: Yeah, exactly, and it, yeah. And he,
3: and he did that the next year in one of my other favorite Troy Hart films, The Lovers, which I have yes. forgotten movie that I absolutely adore. Yeah. Um, so it was interesting that he was going with that, um, and I have to say that I don't think I, it's hard to think of Any movie where you have two more beautiful women than Joey and Maggie in this, they are that the scene of them in the bathtub, that still is, is just jaw dropping. They are so unbelievably beautiful and probably the sexiest they ever acted in a movie, you know, very, you know, more so than, than you would expect in a Hong Kong movie.
1: Yeah, and absolutely. I'm going to
3: hold this up for you, Lisa, so you can see. Yay!
1: <laughs> the green snake. Is that the soundtrack?
3: That is the CD soundtrack.
1: Beautiful. Yeah, I, I've got that somewhere and I've lost I, the damn thing. I, it makes me crazy. I figured you would have it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And um, that's it, it. Yes, the beauty of the women is so extraordinary that I wish it had been matched by the male lead.
2: So. <laughs> I have that soundtrack, too love it i think uh, not just the songs but the score itself is great And just because that movie's not on my list doesn't mean i wasn't absolutely obsessed with it like i said i i could have put so many movies on here that aren't on here and it's painful but yeah i i've watched that dozens and dozens of times and thematically that beyond the audio visual spectacle of it the uh thematically it's so rich uh as far as you know story about uh, conformity you know, identity, religious hypocrisy, all of this kind of stuff. I just I think it's an amazing movie. I wish I had a great copy of it. I don't. Maybe it's out there and I just don't have it. <laughs> Jeff, you know all about these things.
3: I, I have it. Yeah, there was a, um, I think it was May did an anamorphic uh, DVD, which is pretty good, actually. I'm yeah. sure it's way out of print, but hopefully that'll magically show up on Blu-ray in the near future. It, it could, any moment, could out.
0: All right, Joey, your number one is the one we've already talked about.
2: Yeah, uh P- Peking Opera Blues. So there's no need to uh ramble on as I tend to do. Uh no point in it. It's it's an amazing movie. Uh I think I put it at number 1 again. The, these rankings are very arbitrary. Even the films themselves are kind of arbitrary. So many I love. But um but I think I put it there because it's a movie that I feel like could only have been made in Hong Kong. And uh I'm just in awe of the the way it races through so much plot and character and just uh, thematic uh, material, uh, and and very entertaining at the same time. Every genre is packed within it. Um, yeah, it's just kind of an obsession I return to again and again and again, and just kind of admire and awe. All right,
0: so Jeff and I have the same number one, and then uh, this is definitely going to be the longest episode of my podcast. Um, <laughs> I, I knew what I was in for before I started. So, um, so uh, my number one, Jeff's number one, I'll start uh, is The Killer, um, John Woo's masterpiece. Um, also, action directed by Ching Su Tong, um, and uh, which you know he's not known for doing the gun. Play as much as he is for doing the uh, sword fights and stuff, but uh, the obviously the action is incredible in this movie. But this is John Woo at the height of his powers um, of making. Hard Boiled probably has better actions, action scenes, and uh, is a better action movie. But The Killer has an actual story <laughs> that. Um, is uh has an emotional resonance you know recently i was talking with a friend about diehard and they said one of the reasons why diehard works for them is because they're actually scared for the main character as opposed to a lot of the movies where they're not i think um you worry about the characters and the killer and you also definitely feel child young fats guilt and shame for uh for blinding the woman who he ends up falling in love with so it's um, an action movie that has an emotional heart, but also um, complete action insanity. Um, uh, I can watch The Killer pretty much anytime. time. I haven't watched it in a while, which is weird. So I'm definitely going to have to uh, unfuck that, as Brian Keene says all the time on his <laughs> podcast. Um, I'm definitely going to have to watch The Killer. Um, it is, again, it is incredible. Jeff, your thoughts? Why did you choose it as number
3: one well and like i said in my introduction this is the movie that changed my life um it was march 6th 1991 at the new art um i heard about these rumblings about hong kong movies and it was kevin thomas's review rave review of the killer in the la times that said uh you know i might as well give this a shot and um i went and i just you know again my life changed it was i had never seen anything like it and what was funny is seeing it again later in the 90s you know theatrically you get a lot of people giggling and stuff you know because it is really melodramatic but what was interesting about this first <laughs> time, yeah yeah <laughs> um this first time there was just stunned silence in the theater and it was probably uh, two-thirds full I'd say um and it was a stunned silence and that was me and I remember thinking when we got to the um when we got to the um uh, the airport scene, which is about an hour and 20 minutes in, I thought, okay, this is going to be the climax of the movie. Boy, was I wrong. Um, <laughs> um, and it, it's just, you know, the sheer, the excitement of finding something new and just seeing somebody, just seeing a filmmaker at the peak of his powers and seeing a movie star I'd never seen before who is just, you know, the epitome of a movie star. And then got to give Danny Lee credit to Danny Lee's great. You know, he's phenomenal as well sally's well ken um um ken sang called chu the whole cast is great um and it's interesting you mentioned you hadn't seen it in a while i actually two summers ago they they had a screening at the vista with john Wu in person and due to a mutual friend i i let them know i have an original poster of the killer um and they asked if i could come and display it in the lobby beforehand and because of that i got to meet john Wu ahead beforehand i had met him through a Friend who worked on one of his movies earlier, but I got to introduce my son to him and get a picture taken with him, which was pretty cool. Um, but um, you know, John Woo, what what can I say? Um, you know, he you know he his movies you know changed my life. Just made you know opened me up to a whole new world. And seeing it again back to the Vista screening, seeing it with a packed house, I mean, there's nothing like it. It was just it was magic. That's it, movie magic, you know. If I can use that cliche,
0: um, I absolutely love that movie. And I would say, even his Shaw Brothers movie, Last Hurrah for Chivalry, like you can see the, the flair that he's going to be bringing oh, to yeah. back. Oh, yeah. 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 So, yeah, John Woo, you know. Although,
1: I have to chime in with a mention of the fact that The Killer is produced by Choi Hawk. Right. Um, and I definitely see some elements of Choi in that movie. I mean, they had worked together earlier on Better Tomorrow with Chow Yun Fat. There's. There's a there's a little through line going on there so what
0: what would you say are the elements that you think Troy Hart brought to it because I am interested in that
1: I think the casting of I in fact I think I remember something about some of the casting coming from Choi um, the casting is so crucial to that movie um, I think some of the emotionalism. That to me gets lost a little bit in some of the later John Woo movies, and you know, granted, he gets moved to Hollywood, and we know what happens there. But um, there's just there's a little sort of element of character in there that I that I tend to associate somehow more with Joy than John Woo. Mm. Yeah, that's
2: interesting to to note. I think I also have to say that it completely reinvented action movies. I mean, everybody was chasing that what was done in the killer i mean for what was like a decade later people are still chasing it yep
0: yeah.
2: it, it's you know
0: it's absolutely true so i think folks we did it we do we we did this list so let's, that's all <laughs> yeah that's all yeah um sorry i had to free up the space here uh, <laughs> um because <laughs> i'm taking over but um Yeah, so let's just wrap up with um, if people want to talk Hong Kong movies with you or whatever on social media, or maybe you don't want them to, uh, it's okay. (laughs) But um, if people uh, want to find your work or talk to you about Hong Kong movies, where can people find you and um, or not find you Um, starting with Lisa.
1: Uh, i'm pretty easy to find i'm just at www.lisamorton.com from there you can follow me on social media or drop me an email and i'm always happy to chat
2: yeah uh joey Uh, i'm on facebook that's the only social media platform i'm on joey o'brien so you know reach out if you feel like it always happy to chat about hong kong movies yeah
0: every once in a while when i post about one joey uh, shows up that's one of the reasons why i knew he was the person that I wanted to have on here. He's being humble about, you know, what he's done screenwriting wise, but uh, um, and as a critic, because when you look up Hong Kong movies on IMDb, uh, featured critics it almost always says Joey O'Brien uh, on a lot of these titles. So you, you're you're very humble, but uh, you're here for a reason. Um, and Jeff, uh, how about you?
3: Uh, I'm I'm on Facebook as well. You know, that's, that's pretty much
0: it. Okay. Uh, folks, we did it. Uh, that's um, the most exhaustive uh, Hong Kong um, film discussion you're going to find. I hope people made lists and found stuff. Um, if, and also reach out to us if you found um, Blu-rays or DVDs of some of the stuff that we're uh, trying to find. Um, because I know we've mentioned a couple things. And um, this is the end of my uh, Chinese cinema trilogy. So and I really thank Lisa, Joey, and Jeff for bringing your expertise here. Um, it made me feel like I didn't know shit about Hong Kong movies, <laughs> um, <laughs> stacked up against your knowledge. Um, and I really appreciate you guys being here. Any final words?
3: Uh, thank you, David, very much. I really enjoy. As you can tell, I enjoy this. I could probably go on another, you know, three hours. Um, Uh, thank you very much for the opportunity.
0: Oh, Jeff, uh, I think I might call on you again. And Lisa, we might just have to do a Troy Hark episode at some point.
1: Oh, I could could manage that, I think.
2: (laughs) (laughs) All right. So uh, thanks a lot for coming. (laughs)